means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, the podcast. We are covering chapter 35, Beyond the Veil. It's a little different episode you're going to get today, and I am blessed to have Elizabeth. Hello, everyone. And Molly. Hey. On the episode today. So, um, yeah, we're going to do things a little bit differently. Uh, We're going to do two non-spoiler discussions. So, spoilers, there's no spoilers? Yeah, you're probably wondering, well, that's odd. How's that going to work? It's because this first non-spoiler section will feature Elizabeth and Molly. And we'll have our usual break. And then we're going to come back from break and have two new guests on to give their thoughts on this (laughs) very loaded chapter. This chapter is crazy. We were talking about it a little bit in the prep and we're like... We saw how many pages it was, and we're like, wow, this is a long chapter for a lot of action. Flew by. Page turner. Mm-hmm. There's been some chapters where I'm like, wow, this is kind of grueling to get through because I have to take notes for the podcast, make an outline. But even with the notes, I felt like I flew through this chapter pretty pretty quick. Yeah. A lot happening. There's a lot. So it starts off with a little banter between Lucius Malfoy, Bellatrix, and Harry. So we get a little uh, banter as Harry's trying to stall for time after he realizes, oops, I made a really big mistake. <laughs> I mean, that's one way to put it, oops. Like, I, I, you are screwed. My bad. <laughs> My heart feels so much for him, though. When I read that, when he was like, and I've led everyone to their deaths, I was like, oh, Harry. Yep, this, yeah. this one's on me. This is solely on me, too. It's like, I can't even... It's the guilt of that. Oh. The yeah, guilt has got to be crippling, though. Yeah. I mean... But you can't feel the guilt yet, because right now it's panic. Get out of there. Right, yeah. But, I mean, he's getting a little bit of both, because he does have those mindsets of, like, I've put everybody in danger for nothing. Mm. This is bad. <laughs> and then, and then yes, then the panic hits. And I, I talked a little bit about it with Julie, about how when panic hits you that aggressively, like... I don't know that I can blame him for any decision he makes from here on out. Yeah. Because whether he makes a good one or a bad one after this, panic is hard. And I don't know that I could do any better, like, in that state of mind when I'm just like... I think he did amazing for this chapter, throughout the whole chapter, in terms of making decisions. I, You know, I think that's really Harry's time to shine is when he's in that pressing position. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I felt horrible for him, but he did pretty good. I think he tried to make up for it. We will uh, dive into this Lucius Malfoy Bellatrix Harry interesting conversation. I guess conversation. It's not really (laughs) much of one, but we'll dive into that. They also, shockingly, uh, this sparks a whole battle that takes place through the Department of Mysteries. And we will go room for room, uh, just like they did, pretty much, exploring the entire Department of Mysteries. Almost the entire because remember they had like a dozen or so rooms, and we only go through maybe I don't know five of them. There's a lot of doors in the department. There's mystery. a lot of doors. So many doors. It's a gigantic <laughs> maze. It's a labyrinth. But so 
this uh, Lucius Malfoy discussion. Obviously, it's Lucius's voice that you hear at the or you read at the end of the last chapter, and Harry notices that he's just one of a dozen wands pointed at the kids, mm-hmm. meaning it's a two to one disadvantage. But Harry still asks, "Where's Sirius?" And he just gets a round of laughter from the Death Eaters of like, oh, this kid fell completely for a trap. Bellatrix is the worst with it. I mean, she's being like, oh, poor baby Potter. I didn't realize it was a dream. Like, shut up, lady. <laughs> like, I don't. Can I sound clip that? I'm going to sound clip that. <laughs> sound clip that. Wah, wah, wah. Like, oh my gosh. I feel like she's just like. I'm so excited to be out of Azkaban and not get to torture children. Like, what a fun time. I, I gotta be honest here. I could just see Helena Bonham Carter doing that. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. I, the, she's very well casted. She is very well cast. I could just, like, when I see this scene play out in my head, I'm seeing Helena Bonham Carter <laughs> yeah. do this. Uh, they do describe Bellatrix in a very interesting way in this chapter with, like, uh, that Azkaban has not treated her well. <laughs> and uh, they don't really... Like, they treat Sirius with his description very flatteringly. Like, you could see hints and wisps of what was once great good looks. They don't say that about Bellatrix. They're just like, she looks like a skull. Like, <laughs> like just... She's rough. Yeah, she, she looks like she's had it a little tough over the last however many years in Azkaban. I don't so. think the Dementors provide you with shampoo and makeup, so. Yeah. Or yeah. moisturizer no, or conditioner or anything. None of those anything. things. No? I don't, I don't think Bellatrix, though, is, like, upset about that. Like, I think Bellatrix is probably a little bit in her element and has now since even more embraced it. I think she does, like, ooh, this now suits me better. You yeah. look like a crazy person. Yep. Uh, she's she's a little crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. She does uh, take lead in mocking Harry. And Lucius even comes to Harry's defense on a, uh, to a certain extent of like, now wait a minute. He does have history of heroics. So like, I think he meant it in almost a pseudo-taunting way to Harry. Like, oh, he, you know, has his heroics. Well, yeah, like, Voldemort was able to read you so well, that's why you're here. Right. But I also think, like, I, I think he meant it as a taunt to Harry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like he's also setting the stage for, like, now just wait. Nothing is settled here, and he has pulled off some miraculous escapes in the past. So, <laughs> just last year, he escaped all of us. So. Do you think that he... Lucius had a vision board for how all of this would go. <laughs> they totally put it together while they were waiting for him to show up. So, so, so what you're proposing is Voldy at like a long desk. And he's trying to figure out who's going to lead this assault on the Department of Industries. They had like scissors and glue. Yep. They were like crafting it together. It was like. Do you think it actually goes yep. like poster board? And then just moves one poster board and the second poster board's behind it? Yes. Or do you think it goes full on PowerPoint? Oh. No poster. Poster board. Yeah. I like you think to see it goes him with the glue and the scissors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he has all the leftover materials from doing the collaging for Draco. <laughs> so, so you're saying the real way to Boldy's heart is crafting. Yes. 100%. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Okay, we just had to be clear on that. Yeah. I do like that idea of Lucius pitching the idea of like, hey, I got this idea. Dark Lord, can we have some craft time today? <laughs> 
my god. We are seven and a half minutes in, and this has already gone off the rails. Oh, sorry. Very early on, and it's already gone off the rails. I love it. Um, so back on track. Back on track. Um, Harry does have this one upper that he pulls on all of the Death Eaters and Bellatrix to kind of stop her in her tracks. And he refers to Voldy as a half-blood. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You think he's a pure-blood? Oh, let me tell you. He's actually a half-blood. Yeah. Has he been telling you different? And that sets all of them on edge. Yeah. First of all, it sets them all on edge when he says his name. Yeah. When he says Voldemort, they're like, I'm sorry, what? What did you just say? Low hisses, which is an odd reaction, I feel like. Yeah. It reminds me of politicians... Whenever, like, their followers buy into everything that they say. And then if there's, like, the opponent points out some flaw in them and they're like, no, that can't possibly be right. Even if there's facts. This and, is a verifiable fact. Like, yeah, you can, like, you can go yeah, back he and is check. a half-blood. And they're like, no, he's not. <laughs> I guess it does point out, though, like... and he's I have cult had, leader. <laughs> like, that's what he is. Well, yeah. I have had this thought, though, before of, like, Voldy's saying, like, he's talking a big game obviously. And he's talking a very persuasive game to get them all to buy into his agenda. But he is a half-blood. Mm-hmm. So, like, does he have to spin his heritage in a way where it's like, I know I'm a half-blood, but... <laughs> or is he like, okay, muggle-borns are the real issue. Half-blood's <laughs> kind of an issue. Like, how does he spin that? I would assume he's going more muggle-born rather than half-blood. He may not even really address it, but I also feel like deep down inside, he's also rejecting, obviously, his father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, it, it's just an interesting kind of uh, dynamic that he said. It seems like the kind of thing it would be like you run your campaign on, I'm going to get rid of the muggle-borns, and then once you have gotten your power then you're like okay we can go after the half-bloods too mm-hmm. I'll leave the pure behind yeah well lucius comes back with some uh i think you put it elizabeth in your notes as some dramatic readings or some dramatic statements he has so many good quotes with this section i was kind of like oh my god malfoy i'm quoting you all the time he said how it's like it's time you learn the difference between life and dreams potter and uh, he said, um, th- like, the whole, he has a great weakness for heroics. The Dark, L- Dark Lord understands this about him. He's just coming at What about the reasons stuff. for, so he also says, like, the reason Harry has the scar is buried in the Department of Mysteries. Yeah, Dumbledore never told you that the reason you bear that scar was hidden in the bowels of the Department of Mysteries. I'm like, that's such a weird way to phrase things. Couldn't he just been like, Dumbledore didn't tell you why Voldemort attacked you? It was because of his prophecy. He does that a lot. Dumbledore didn't tell you. Which leads me to two things. One, either they fully know that, and they're just taunting Harry. Or, they're genuinely surprised that Dumbledore hasn't shared any of this information. Well, I think it's genuinely surprised, because Harry was like, so what kind of prophecy are we even talking about here? Does that mean Voldy is more open with his Death Eaters than Dumbledore is with the Order? <laughs> Do you envision, uh, like... Well, I was actually wondering about that, because we know the order thing. Maybe it's during crafting time. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels so warm and, and It gets in a good mood. We're going to carry and share, yeah. guys. 
Exactly. No, but I was wondering with like the order, like we know they they have to protect the Department of Mysteries. We know that was part of their like duties, and they said that okay, it's a weapon that's hidden in there. So does that mean they knew that they were protecting a prophecy, and they were just like, okay, we won't ask Dumbledore what this prophecy is about, or I mean, because they don't seem to know much details, but they are all coming to the rescue. Remember, they've also gotten some misinformation on the prophecies because mm-hmm. we saw a glimpse of Avery getting tortured mm-hmm. for giving Voldy the wrong information. And then Rookwood had to come in and be like, no, 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 no. This is how the Department of Mysteries is actually run. Right. So there is some misinformation. So I don't know that either side, Dumbledore or Voldy's side, has like the full picture of what the Department of Mysteries actually is. I think everyone just knows the Department of Mysteries is mysterious. And important. That's rare, though, that those two individuals don't have the full knowledge, isn't it? Unless Dumbledore does, but he's just keeping everything close to his chest. I think that way. I think, too, like, he's just really holding back mostly from Harry because he understands that there's the, the, you know, connection between them. Mm. So let me ask you guys this. Why do you think Albus didn't take Harry here to get the prophecy, like himself. I'm assuming prior to book five, because obviously he has issues with the Minister of Magic right now, so him (laughs) walking into the ministry is probably not going to happen very easily. But prior to book five, when he knows the prophecy was made, Mm -hmm. like, why doesn't he take Harry to get it? Do you think he's sheltering him in a way? Like, trying to let Harry at least somewhat be his age? I think that's probably where Dumbledore's coming from but it's kind of a weak excuse especially if you're that worried about it like you have guards posted outside this area of the ministry like Like why not just go get it he cares about Harry he doesn't want to do anything that like could put his life path down a new more extreme way I'm gonna get a little cynical then here (laughs) just have him go pick up the (laughs) the prophecy (laughs) Give it to Dumbledore and just and then just spin him whatever lock it away and spin vault. whatever truth you want to tell him. Harry, we're on a mission today. We're gonna go downtown, pick up a ball, <laughs> come back to my office and just shove it in some lock like vault. Yeah. Yeah. If you're that worried where you're spending order members. Maybe because it would draw attention to the rest of the ministry of like okay we have this mission we have to go into the department of mysteries and most people in the ministry don't know what goes on down there that's that's true i guess does one have access to their own prophecy number one number two how does one get access to it do you have to file like some form paperwork Seriously, we'll we'll get back to you with our response in like six months. Yeah, I mean, kind of like how does that work? Yeah, are you even allowed? And if you are allowed, how does that process go? If you're allowed, that has to be such an extreme process of like you promise not to listen to it, or if you do, then your actions are monitored or something. I don't know because. We've talked before about fate, and if, if you do the thing in order to stop it from happening, how that often means it does happen regardless. If you don't do anything to change it, well, will that still happen? The argument is, if it's fate, it's fate. It right. will happen. Right. No matter what you do, it's going to happen. Right. So... Yeah, I don't know. Plus, too, I mean, like, did... 
did Voldemort know about the whole department, you know? And was it, like, if, in Dumbledore's mind, if Voldemort wasn't thinking about it, why would I even attempt to draw attention to it? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. He might not know to what extent Voldy's interested in it. Yeah. How long do you think the Death Eaters were at the Ministry? Do you think they scouted out all of the rooms to know what the angles are in case something does go sideways? Well, they have Rockwood, right? So he should have the department laid out, I would imagine. They made maps, right? I would assume so. You would think that they would, but I mean... Unless, like, the Unspeakables don't even know the extent of their own department. That's plausible. Uh-huh. And then the other side of this is how much do you think they were er- too arrogant in not thinking it would even leave the prophecy room. Oh, that's a good point, too. And then it wouldn't be an issue. I feel like they would imagine he would. You'd scout he es- out the Because he escaped once with the graveyard, so I'd be like, okay, we got to be extra careful But at the same time. time, if you were to scout out the area ahead of time, mm. you probably would have done something similar to what Hermione did and mark the doors so you know which room you're going into in some way, shape, or form. Because it doesn't matter how well you scout out anything, once you get into that circular room and it spins, it's it's a roulette wheel of you don't know. What you walk into. Maybe there's also the level of panic. Maybe it's on the vision board. It's on the vision board? <laughs> <laughs> Lucius literally gets up, spins the wheel. <laughs> um, anyway. Or they didn't get past it like... like what should we do in case he escapes? Question mark. Get back to later. Right. So we get the other question of, I just presented the idea of why didn't Albus go take Harry and get the prophecy? Well, the other side of the coin is, why didn't Boldy come personally? Because the prophecy also has his name on it, too. Right. Mm-hmm. So he could have come himself and just plucked it. Well, I talk about that in my notes, because we know once Harry gets the idea of smashing the orbs to distract them, because we saw two smash, and then, like, the figures rose up and gave their prophecies. I don't know why the Death Eaters couldn't have just, like, smashed the prophecy itself, listened to the memory, and then later on just replay the memory for Voldemort or tell them what they heard. And if Rockwood had worked in the department, he could have just done that without anybody else's help. I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of, like, I feel like Voldy could have orchestrated a way to do this, even quieter. Less dramatically. And less dramatically. Yes. And, like, you don't have to bank on the fact that Harry would want to be heroic. Like, you could just do it yourself. <laughs> Especially if, apparently, the Death Eaters cleared out the entire Ministry of Magic to do what they're doing. Like, Voldy could have done this... Simply. Yeah, but Bellatrix does make the point that, like, you know... He didn't want to reveal himself? Mm-hmm. Right. He... Yeah. Because, I mean, he's been secret for a year, and that's been nice. Maybe know. he just wasn't ready to go to bat yet. <laughs> yeah. Or he wants to prove to Harry that he's like, I know you. Mm-hmm. You can't hide from me. <laughs> you know? So they're all in the games ways. stage still? They're just playing games with each other, going back and forth? Mental games. He's yeah. like a cat and mouse. Fair enough. I don't... <laughs> Honestly, I don't know why these two god-level wizards just couldn't have done it themselves. <laughs> like, you're both capable. Figure it out. You know what the real reason is? 
we the readers needed to see it. Yep. So. And we're happy we did. <laughs> because this, what happens after this interaction is crazy. Yes. So, obviously, Harry communicates the idea of, hey, if we knock these prophecies down, we can create a massive distraction. Um, obviously you get hit falling glass, falling bookshelves, mm-hmm. plus the actual noise of all of the voices from the prophecies when they get cracked or when they break. So he somehow, somehow <laughs> relays this idea to them without being noticed. I like how he almost doesn't though, because Malfoy said like, haven't you ever wondered why the Dark Lord tried to kill you as a baby? He's like, wait, someone made a prophecy about me and Voldemort? Like, you literally just saw it with your name on it and Voldemort's name. How are you not understanding what's going on here? Harry does get sidetracked <laughs> fairly easily. Twice in the Department of Mysteries. He got uh-huh. sidetracked with Stone Arch, and uh-huh. now you get sidetracked with a question. Nevertheless, you get a massive reducto spell from five people at once, and you get all of these destroyed prophecies, which I'm also going to say, like, how does that, does the prophecy end then, or does it just go unknown? I think it goes, I would imagine it would go unknown, which That's really makes me heart hurt, like, for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm kind of sad for all those right? lost like, there's, prophecies. There's consequences there, yeah? Right. Like, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that, right. like, if the person has a prophecy made about them, they'll never be able to hear it. And also, I wonder how often they do listen to the prophecies, you know? Like, can the unspeakables uncork it and kind of yeah. re-put it back in the bottle I think or something? they just go un... Unheard. Unheard. Unknown. But then again, too, I mean, going back to fate, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they're in the Department of Ministries because of the potential chaos of listening to a prophecy about yourself could cause. Right. It's like so that age-old question. not like about you, then right. it's like, okay. It's like that age-old question, like, do you want to know when you die and how you die? Mm-hmm. You know? So. Yeah. yeah. How would I, that affect the course of history? But I, I got the same reaction you did, Molly, of just like... For some reason, the idea of all of these prophecies just being destroyed bothers yeah. me. Yeah. And I don't me, even know why, it but it does. It reminds me of, um, what's it, the, the Library of Alexandria, right? The one that burned, mm-hmm. and then all that knowledge is gone. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we could have gotten so, so much farther as a civilization if we knew what was there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Yeah. Uh, so, in that chaos of the destroyed prophecies, we get Harry, Neville, and Hermione leaving the room. Ron, Ginny, and Luna, unknown. We lose track of those three. Uh, And in the chaos, the Death Eaters decide to pair up to go search for Harry. And we get the pairings of Bellatrix and Rodolphus, Crab and Radiston, Jugson and Dolohoff. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you know I bring up Dolohoff all the time. Uh, And guess what? We get some Dolohoff in this chapter. Uh, you got McNair and Avery. McNair, if you remember, is the one that almost executed Buckbeak. Avery's the one that just got tortured, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rookwood is the one that has the Department of Ministries, Ministry of Magic knowledge. And you get Mulsiber and Lucius pairing up. So a couple of interesting pair-ups. Rookwood's solo uh, because in all of the chaos of the prophecies getting destroyed and the kids running off, stunning people and all that kind of craziness, not is injured. Not as in N-O-T-T. Uh, he's the father of a current student of Hogwarts. Um, and we got a really brief scene of like him and Malfoy like conspiring in a corner after Harry put out the article that said their fathers were yeah, Death Eaters. Yeah. 
Uh, well, he was injured in all of this, so Rookwood has to go solo uh, because Nat is injured, and Malfoy's just like, leave him behind! Voldy doesn't care about his injuries, we need the privacy, <laughs> which is probably very accurate. Can we just take a second and appreciate how much, how much just like, <sighs> deep sigh there must be of, we had the kids, and now they've scampered off, and now I have to chase after them. <laughs> I was not ready for that. <laughs> Malfoy goes... Dark, though, quick, because he's like, be careful around Harry. Kill everyone else. Yeah. Like, yeah. it was not... Because well, don't shatter the prophecy. That is what we have to have. No gray lines. It was like, no, no, no. Keep Harry safe. Kill everybody else. Just mm-hmm. a sharp, very clear order. <laughs> so, we enter into the clock room. So, we get uh, Harry, Neville, and Hermione entering in that clock room uh, that features that bell jar with the hummingbird and all that. Uh, Harry hits a Death Eater with a spell, sending him into the clock. And then the uh, other Death Eater tries to actually just straight up kill Hermione. Uh, So it doesn't take any cheap shots, just goes straight for the kill. Uh, Neville sends both uh, the Death Eaters and Harry's wand flying. Not his uh, intent, but (laughs) good effort uh, on Neville's part, I guess. Um, Hermione hits one of the Death Eaters with a stunning spell, sending him falling headfirst into that bell jar that has the hummingbird. And, um, some interesting events happen. He, his head ends up transforming in front of them. And goes from, like, baby to normal to old to baby to normal to old to baby to normal. And it's just like this it's rotating. It's so quickly, too, because even when he gets to be an adult and he tries to pull his head out, it's like, oh, too, too fast, back to baby again. So what are we thinking about this first initial clock room back and forth of events? I liked how Neville shattered the cabinet time turners and it keeps getting in a cycle of repairing itself and being broken again. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's where Harry like comes to the realization, like, oh, this is probably where the time turners are helping. I like that it took him this long to realize this room is about time. <laughs> like, it shouldn't have taken you that much time to figure he out that it was about time. He was focused on other things. <laughs> I know how, um, I think it was a couple chapters ago, you were talking about how like Hermione was like the MVP. Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. Neville is a little bit of the MVP of this, this chapter. Neville? In terms of like just him, like, Finally, really, really stepping into his own. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Neville has a couple of moments here in this chapter because obviously there's Bellatrix in this picture. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. Bellatrix does not uh, shy away from the fact that she is very well acquainted with his parents. And to Neville's credit, steps right back up to her and goes, oh, I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's a strong moment from Neville. And this is probably the strongest we've ever seen Neville. Yeah. I just, I love seeing Neville in this chapter just be who he is. Like, he was so just ready to go. He, like, knocked both the wands out of their hands and just... So, uh, I mean, it's fair to say that Bellatrix is to Neville what Voldy is to Harry. Yeah. Like, as far as that antagonistic, like, whatever else happens, it's you and I. Like, we have to... Finish whatever un- unfinished business there is. Yeah. It's My heart breaks for him in this room, though, because he broke his father's wand, and he's like, My grandma's gonna kill me. Yeah. Yeah, so it, they actually dive into a small office off the side of the clock room, and um, 
two Death Eaters scream impedimenta at the same time, knock all three kids backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, those spells have got to be pretty, pretty impactful. Uh, Harry hits his head. Possible concussion. Not possible concussion. It's a concussion. It's a concussion. <laughs> He's definitely concussed. 100%. Because even at some point later in the chapter, he describes, like, everything's kind of slow and fuzzy, <laughs> yeah. and I'm not really reacting like I should. I'm like, you are concussed. You're definitely concussed, my he's friend. He's going to need some physical therapy for that. Yeah, he's, he's going to, yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> Harry's got a head injury here. Yes. Um, so the first Death Eater uh, is petrified with a spell from Harry. The second Death Eater, who we know is Dodalahoff, uh, hits Hermione in the chest with a spell that's described as a streak of purple flame. Mm-hmm. And apparently this is a pretty intense one because like, it hits Hermione and incapacitates her like immediately. And didn't she do the like silencing charm on him she before did the silence... he did that? So imagine how... It was a silent spell, yeah. Yeah, like imagine how impactful it would have been if it had been a spoken spell as opposed to an unspoken one. Like, she could be dead. And I, I think that's what sometimes there's that trope in media where it's like, the good guys try to use one certain type of spell and the bad guys are like, nope, we're just going for the kill. And this is kind of that. Hermione's like, oh, you're trying to use a bad spell. I'll just silence you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, that's going to stop anything. And then he's upset that he's silenced, so he's just like, fine, and just lashes out <laughs> with this horribly violent, aggressive spell and incapacitates Hermione, which, uh, you know, obviously Hermione is as brilliant and as talented as she is. That's a blow to the group. Mm-hmm. Also, sorry, just can we go back the quote to... Go for it. You can't hurt a baby. Hermione. Oh, like <laughs> Hermione, <laughs> the grown man with a baby's head. <laughs> yeah, at some point that Death Eater tries to come into the small office, and Harry's about to cast a spell, and that's when Hermione's like, "You can't harm him." Right. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I know that was roundabout. But... Um. So that that. Uh, Dolhoff, I believe, also breaks Neville's wand, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. And it is nose, which I feel like is also a problem, because anytime he tries to say a spell, it's just all stuffed up and odd-sounding. Yeah, yeah, he breaks Neville's wand, which we find out is his father's wand, uh, which is heartbreaking, after, especially after the Christmas on the Closed Ward chapter, mm-hmm. and how close and meaningful that is. And he says, you know, my grand's going to kill me. It's like, and I, that's fine, but I feel like that's emotional for you to yeah. go through. Um, I can't believe he kicked it. Like, I would, I, I mean, I would have picked it up. I would have been like, oh my God. Yeah. You yeah. Know? But. Uh, well, he was probably distracted by the fact that he got kicked in the face and just broke his nose. <laughs> Very true. Very uh, true. So, uh, yeah, Dolhoff is not exactly fighting uh, clean, but I mean, he took down Hermione and essentially Neville mm-hmm. in one foul swoop. So, uh, effective. Yeah, and then that's that's when uh, the baby-headed Death Eater comes in. <laughs> I love, like, A-plus distraction work just coming in with this baby wailing. I love it. Well, and it's a grown, yeah. muscular man yeah. with a baby head. Yeah. So he's, like, flailing and swinging with, like, like muscle. I mean, this is a big dude. Right. So even Dolohoff is like, uh, what? <laughs> like, I'm surprised Dolohoff didn't just be like, okay, whatever, we're getting rid of this dude real quick, and then we'll focus back on the kids. 
Um, Do you think they ever shoved his head back in and be like, okay, age, and go, like, like that kind of thing? I don't know what the treatment is for that. I don't know. If they were trying to study it in the Department of Mysteries, I don't know that there's a fix. Especially because he broke the jar, right? Well, he broke the time turners for sure. Oh, he broke the time. Yeah. yeah, I think he's stuck. I think he might be stuck. What a weird... Does your body then age at its normal pace and your, your I would assume head, so. Like, it's like a that... half Benjamin Button thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a weird distorted version just, of that movie. Just imagine this very like attractively faced man and then his body's of like a 90 year old. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> oh, so you're like literally everything's aging up at that point. So you're like 15 year old head on a 75 year old body. <laughs> I think we need to I'm hitting off. puberty slash like menopause. So are you like, mentally hitting puberty, but like physically somewhere else at that point? Your body, like you have pimples all over your face, but your body's like, oh, my knees, my back. <laughs> Any way you cut it, this is a horrible, horrible outcome for this individual. Obviously, Neville and Harry are very concerned about Hermione's well-being. And Neville, good on him for uh, the athletic trainer uh, in in training there, is able to feel for Hermione's pulse and say, hey, she's still alive. She's not conscious, but she's still alive at least. And then carries her. Yeah. Because he's like, hey, Harry, you're better at fighting than I am. I'll just carry Hermione. And like they put her on his shoulders and he like carries her out. Okay, Neville. Like, <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, MVP. Uh, they do pick up Hermione's wand and give it to Neville because he should have some level of protection. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they escape the small office. They avoid the wandering baby man. And <laughs> <laughs> Half Benjamin Button. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And get to uh, the familiar now circular room with all of the doors. And by some miracle, they're they're reunited with Ron, Ginny, and Luna. Ron, however, is in a giggling fit. Mm -hmm. Ginny might, probably, has a broken ankle. And Luna, completely unhurt. Completely, totally fine. Um, So they said, uh, Luna said that they had battled four Death Eaters in a dark room with planets. Mm -hmm. Some of the time, just floating in the darkness. Um, and then Ron comes in with a Uranus joke. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Luna said he had gone all, like, funny and that he was bleeding from the mouth. His legs gave out uh, underneath him. He kind of, like, fell into Harry. And he was giggling and all that stuff. It makes me wonder, like, was he hit with, like, a dr- be drunk spell? You know, like, something to make him just... So, here's my thing. Um, and you guys can, you know... Whatever thoughts you have on the spell. This doesn't seem like a Death Eater spell. This, to me, sounds like they themselves tried something and either it rebounded back on Ron. Mm. Or Ron was hit by either Ginny or Luna with this spell. I don't... This doesn't strike me as, like, <laughs> like one of the death, like, Mulciber or McNair. McNair, who's an executioner, going, like, I'm going to make him giggle a lot. <laughs> like, that, that doesn't well, strike I, me as I one of their spells. I could see it as, like, we'll hit him with a spell that makes him unpredictable and do foolish things that will then derail the other two. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Maybe it's a chess game type of spell, but I, I yeah. still think, like, 
I mean, I would love it for Lucius Malfoy to be like, I'm going to make him giggle. <laughs> and then I'm going to write a letter I to Draco to... telling him about it. I'll send him the newspaper clipping. The newspaper <laughs> clipping. To be fair, if you did like a giggling spell on me, I would be incapacitated. Like, I'm, I'm messing up. Does he take a photograph since it moves? <laughs> Maybe. Just take a photo and send it to Draco, like just Ron laughing in the department. Wish just... you were here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um... We do get uh, Bellatrix and two other Death Eaters uh, sprinting out of a room, and they almost get to Harry before getting the door slammed in front of them and the room circulating again. What do we think, just briefly, they do mention the dark room with the planets. Mm -hmm. What are we thinking about that room? Because that's the first time we've heard about this room. Well, I talked about it a little bit last week in the spoiler section, so I guess I can talk about it now. Like, I still get the sense of you are actually seeing the universe in this room. And when they're getting close to the planets, it's like you literally are by the planets, but just on Earth, if that makes sense. Like, you're still seeing everything. So if they if Earth, if Earth sent a rocket to the moon, like, you would be seeing the rocket leaving Earth going to the moon. Like, it's real-time Google universe, I guess you could say. Like that, that's what I picture. Interesting. What do you think? Um, I mean, that's a brilliant, like, description of it. <laughs> I think the interesting fact is the idea of them just floating in the dark for some of the yeah, time. Yeah. Like, what effect is that? Like, just zero gravity takes in? Like, is that a, an effect of the room? Or is that a spell that was unleashed by one of the Death Eaters to be like, I'm just going to make them float and see how they deal with that? Well, it also interests me that they go in darkness, but then they're also going by planet. So it's like, how do you exit this room and enter the room? Like, if you're just floating out in space, but in this room, where's your way out? You know? Yeah. No. Like, like, it's, how do you escape this? It seems inescapable. That's what intrigued me most about it. It was like, oh, this idea that they were like yeah. floating in the dark for a period of time. I was like, huh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I think there's, like, if I had more time to think about it, like, because there's a lot of interesting avenues you could probably go down there, get, go down with. Yeah. For that. I don't know. It, it's an intriguing room to me. The darkness reminds me of those videos of people on cruises when it's nighttime and they look out and they're like, it's so dark on the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> there's just nothing there. Yeah. It would be cool to, like, uh, take... In astronomy class. I like how Luna's very on top of it because clearly she paid attention in astronomy and probably <laughs> finished her astronomy. Like, she was probably on top of it. Do you think she would make a good unspeakable? Yeah, like as a job? That's a good question. Because <sighs> she's yeah. right up her alley. Yes and yeah. no. Um, she'd probably be intrigued enough and I think she's clever and smart enough and uh, adventurous enough. She's all the positive qualities that you want to try to unravel some actual mysteries. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how influenced she'd be by, like, her growing up with conspiracy theories <laughs> of Crumplehorn Snorkax <laughs> and the such um, that she might try, she might just go off on her own tangents trying to prove unprovable things. Here's some funding. Go find one. <laughs> yeah, you'll probably one. I think she'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. I think she would I be. think she has all the qualities to make her really successful at it. I right. just don't know. Because she seems the least, like phased by any of this like it's, no it's just a cool adventure for her right like she is down for all of it yeah so and she's clearly good at it because she's remained unharmed at this point which 
not many of them, Death Eater or Kid, <laughs> can say at this point. So, I mean... I kind of get the sense Luna. of Luna, and I know this isn't the case, but I just get the sense of her just like bouncing around, almost like like a ballerina or something. I'm going to bounce to this room, go over now, to this see, room. See, you say that, but she does say she blew up Pluto in somebody's face. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so... That's why Pluto's not a planet anymore. She blew it off. <laughs> I love it. Cross, cross over into the real world. They're um, like, well, I don't see it anymore, so it's, it's gone. I, I think Luna does... The truth that Harry Potter does the <laughs> I think Luna does get that rep, though, for being a little spacey. She gets that punch yeah. for being a little spacey, but she clearly packs a punch. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is not one to necessarily just overlook. Good She's a good, good combination of, like, being able to believe the unbelievable, but being logical mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. she's a fascinating character just she really is. Her. <laughs> so after they shut the door in bellatrix's face uh they turn around and they realize they're in the brain room so again this room is a gigantic tank with floating brains in the middle they they figure out that this room also has a distinction of having probably the most doors of any of the rooms that they've been in <laughs> so there's this flurry to shut all of them as fast as they can Unfortunately for Luna, she goes to shut a door and five Death Eaters burst through it just as she was about to. Now, real quickly, like, okay, I get this, the reason why you want to lock the doors. Like, it makes sense. You don't just want them wide open. But at the same time, doesn't it take them just, like, two seconds to unlock it? They well, know this all more off. Yes, but at least it gives you the time for them to try the door, realize someone's trying to get in that door. And then you can prep for it. At that point, I would just be like, okay, unlock like all the doors that I come to. You know, I would just yeah, assume maybe. that they are locked. Well, also, the Department of Mysteries, you can't assume that... Clearly, you can't assume that you can open all of them to begin with. True. At all. Period. And then, you know, that opens up the whole thing of uh, who knows what's behind any door. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't want to just go bursting into a door unless you absolutely have to. Because <laughs> you never know what's going to be on the other side of it in this particular area. True. Um, but anyway, yeah, five Death Eaters rush into the room. Luna is knocked to the floor and she is motionless. Um, so we have another student that is incapacitated. And then Ron, in his giggling state, gets fascinated <laughs> by the brain and goes, Accio brain. I would also be fascinated. By well, be when he says Accio brain, literally all five Death Eaters. <laughs> Couldn't help themselves but turn to the tank and be like, what is about to happen right now? Like, no one knew what this would unleash. What did it unleash? They, brain, uh, one brain, flew out of the tank and started to unfurl tentacles? Well, I like it. It's described as, like, ribbons of moving images flew, unraveling, like, rolls of film. So it's like these images are its thoughts, I guess, coming I, to attack you? I took it as memories. Okay. This this could be the memory room. Yeah. So if, there... if that's how it's described, I feel like that might be your... your Because Molly and I had a great discussion about memory magic way back when. <laughs> it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And, I think, and we had this conversation about how memory magic... Work. can be one of these mysteries yeah because there's a lot of depth to it there's a lot of nuance to it you got pensieves you got other things going on that can delve into memory 
So Well, it seems like when it attacks Ron at first, he's like, oh, look, this is fun. And he's like, no, no, I don't like this. No, get well, it off me. The tentacles start wrapping around him. That's but I so also creepy. feel yeah. like it's it's a physical attack, but there's also some element of a mental attack going on. Like, I, I wonder if be. it's like, yeah. if it's feeding thoughts into Ron's brain or if it's taking thoughts from Ron's brain that we know he's uncomfortable with and pulling them to the surface and attacking him on like a dual level. Yeah. I'm sure it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah. I I think that's a very plausible thing that it can get yeah. him on both. Um, it seems to be wrapping around him in quite a menacing manner. <laughs> it's like a horror movie. But uh, yeah, it seems to at least stun him out of his giggling state so yeah. I, I, there must be either either the shock and panic of this thing now binding him or or to your point there might be something else going on on the inside that we can't see yeah on a very less serious note you know what this room reminds me of if you are a fan of the show doom patrol there's a, there's a series of butts that, oh, that is what I get from this. Instead of butts of their brain. <laughs> and you can blame Dan for the fact that I know that reference because he made me watch the show. So Yeah. Uh, I did not have you bringing up the butts from Doom Patrol in the video card. You're so dead. But that is true. In Doom Patrol, they get attacked by butts. And then later in the show, spoiler alert, zombie butts. Yes. Uh, so yeah. And they um, sing and dance. <laughs> and they do. They do sing and dance. Fantastic. Um, show tunes. Uh, so, <laughs> these so now are... I want to see the brains do like some kind of um, like synchronized swimming. <laughs> maybe maybe in the HBO show you could pitch that. Um, I but... hope they listen to our podcast. <laughs> these are A plus ideas, right? Okay. Because we've just brought up that fact really quick before we move on. The Department of Mysteries in the movie, I think, was horrifically underdone. Okay, I don't oh, yeah. remember this. So what did they even have? They really just had the stone archway. Really, right? That was really, really, all, they that was really all they had, was yeah. the stone archway. They had room. The, the room with the, the prophecies and then the stone archway. That, that was pretty much it. That was pretty much it. That's so sad. Much less, <laughs> and and we'll get to it a little later when we get to, to that room where most of the action really takes place. But I felt like the fighting was, it was unfortunate. Yeah. Like, their fighting was a little boring yeah. compared to what actually happens in this chapter. Right. Well, we'll get, we'll get But there. could you imagine, like, the budget they would have had to have for the special effects for the Department of Ministry? Yeah, especially at that time. Yeah. You're probably right. how many scenes they filmed but then were cut. That's true, too. I want to see all the extended but features. I guess, like, most of the fighting in the movie was done with just wisps. It was just smoke going around the room. Yeah, that's true. White smoke and black smoke. And it was yeah. just going around the room instead that's of it? just... Yeah, that was pretty much it instead yeah. of just spells. We do get another injury, however, to the kids. Uh, Ginny gets hit with a stunning spell right in the face. And now she is incapacitated. So now we have Hermione... We have Ginny, we have Luna all incapacitated, we have Ron incapacitated because he's wrapped up by this brain. Neville's like half. Neville's half incapacitated because he's still carrying Hermione. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're in rough shape right now. And the Death Eaters start firing silver light arrows that end up leaving craters in the wall. Which, the reason I point that out is, one, it's a different type of spell that we haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. And two, it makes me think of, like, some of the Fantastic Beast movies 
Mm-hmm. With the adult magic? With the more adult magic. Like, they're the purple flame that Dolof, the Dolohoff uses, these silver light arrows. Death Eaters are showing that they're a little bit more pronounced in their spell work. Yeah. Than just doing stupefy. Or it is interesting to me what spells they choose to use throughout the whole thing. Because, yeah, the kids are very quick to just use stupefy or, or like, the... Both use stupefy. Both parties use stupefy. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I it feels like if I were to go into a fight, I would have my top three and just, like, cycle through them. Just because I, I don't want to be thinking about other things. I just want to react. But they're just creative with it. Maybe because they have more experience. I think they have more experience and they're going for a certain result. Yeah. yeah. Like, they don't care about what damage they do. They don't care about who they hurt. Like, right. they are just going for the kill shots. Hmm. So they're a little bit more, uh, I guess, wide in their spell selection. <laughs> uh, but, anyway, we get um, into the Stone Archway room because Harry just wants to, like, get these Death Eaters away from all of the injured kids. He's like, follow me. So he just... <laughs> Yeah, so he just <laughs> rushes in through a door, and like we were just saying, you don't really want to just rush into a door in one of these rooms. He rushes into the door and then immediately falls down several steps, all the way down to the bottom where the stone archway is perched on the dais. And um, immediately, uh, Death Eaters surround him, and it's ten to one. So you have all of the remaining Death Eaters. You don't have, I'm assuming... Not who was injured in the first room and the baby headed <laughs> death eater, <laughs> but the other 10 are still standing and strong at this point to just Harry. And Neville, bless him, he tries to help. <laughs> he, he he's tr- being a Gryffindor, he tries to help, and it's great. He and this entire time, Harry's like, Just please stay with Hermione and Ron, just please stay with Hermione and Ron. And he, he's like, I'm coming to help, <laughs> and then immediately gets snatched by a large death eater. <laughs> yeah, um, I love it, Neville, but. Yeah, it was... Well, this is where that whole Bellatrix-Neville back-and-forth scene happens, which is just, yeah. So I like it's so much harder knowing the hospital scene. I like how they describe it. A truly evil smile. Mm-hmm. Like, how many times have we seen Umbridge smile and it's been, like, a little bit disconcerting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the first time he uses truly evil Yeah. as a description. That's poignant. Well, I mean, this is her being like, oh, I just found some dessert. Yay. Yeah. I, I mean, she wants to, f- she, in her mind, she wants to finish the job. Mm-hmm. She's like, my job is incomplete. I got two out of the three, or I guess the grandmother too would be a complete job. But still, she's got Neville right here in front of her. So, yeah. And she, she turns to Harry and is like, oh, I'm going to finish the job on, on the long bottoms. Mm-hmm. I got his parents, I'm going to get him. And then just goes right into Crucio. And makes the, the big Death Eater drop him because he's writhing too much in pain. Because he's like, can someone just stun this kid already? Like, I'm tired of holding them already. And she's just like, forget stun. I'll just go straight to torture. Um, it's, yeah, it's a crazy scene with it's just dark. those two. It's very dark. Very dark, yeah. I, I think, you know, you could read this and forget that you're having an adult woman torture a child a 15 year old child mm-hmm. who has seen his parents in the aftermath of what she did to them that exact same spell and yeah. those screams would be echoing like crazy in that room yeah it's that too room. it's in an auditorium right yeah i mean that's yeah i think sometimes we gloss over just how dark that actually is yeah um but yeah. well if anything the screams 
alerted the order as to where, where exactly we are. they are. Like, well, they also probably followed the trail of destruction <laughs> through the rooms. Uh, but we do get reinforcements as just as Harry is starting to hold out the prophecy to Malfoy, we get the reinforcements, and those reinforcements are Sirius Black, Remus Lupin, Moody, Tonks, and Kingsley, and. I feel like, I don't know why, I just feel like this is kind of a gutsy move by Kingsley to show up for this, because right now he's he's got a ministry job. Mm. Like, no one knows anything about him. Like, obviously you can pretty much guarantee Sirius Lupin and Moody mm-hmm. are all going to be members of the Order, right? Like, that's obvious. Tonks and Kingsley are real members of the current Ministry of Magic. They are Orders. Well, I guess if they got caught, they could just be like, well, I was at the office and I heard some odd noises and I went to check it out. Like, I guess. That could be a cover story. But you're clearly picking a side in this whole thing now. Well, they're destroying the department. But I get it. But you're not, I mean, now this is a greater thing. I mean, you're, yeah. you're yeah, now you're out as like, I have picked a side in this fight. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an interesting move by them. I think there's going to come a time. I mean, there was bound to be a time. Where that was going to happen. Though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And, you know, that's part of this whole thing is by Voldy sending in his uh, legion of Death Eaters to do this, you are kind of stoking the flames a little bit, and there are going to be some collateral, like, well, Well, I think you... it's just because it's so important. He's banking on, we have to have everybody. Yeah. we got to make this succeed. By doing this, you've set things in motion now. Yeah. So, I mean, but anyway, um, so those are the reinforcements. Wait. Uh, so now you have the five of them helping the six original students. However, not many of them are still standing at this point. Hmm. Um, so that's, what, 11 to the 12 original Death Eaters? Granted, not all 12 of them are still standing either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Harry was almost caught by uh, McNair, and Neville ends up saving him. And that was almost, uh, he feels like uh, this strong hand on his throat. Yeah, he's like, I'm dying and no one knows it. He, no one can hear the screams because this full-out battle had raged at that point. And McNair's got him by the throat and he's gonna kill him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, no one can hear me even scream. One, I can't even scream because he's got me by the throat. And I'm gonna die here and no one's gonna even notice it. And then Neville just saves him by... Uh... He took Hermione's wand and jabbed it into his eye yeah. for his mask. And then Harry yelled the stunning spell. Like, yeah. I love it. It reminds me of when they took out the troll and just shoved the wand up the nose. <laughs> like, uh, eye's pretty gruesome, though, man. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That'd be painful. Yeah. Uh, Dolohoff ends up disabling Neville with a spell. And and then you, I think you love that spell, right? Well, I was like, that's a weird curse, but okay. It just makes his legs dance like, like crazy. So he was described as being a, like doing a jig. Yeah, I, I view it as a more dangerous thing. Like, you're uncontrollably moving your legs. It just seems like another one of those spells. I'm like, why did they choose that one? I agree with you. Like, it's just it's a weird choice. Yeah, very weird choice. Disables them. Can't do anything. Yeah, but it's, I don't know. It just seems really immature. Yeah. I don't know why. It's a weird jinx. Well, then we'll yeah. go back earlier and say maybe a Death Eater did make Ron giggle. I don't right. know. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it was the same guy. You know? and maybe Dolohoff is just, he's yeah. like, you know what? I'm going to flex all of my spells. Right. So, like, maybe that's like his calling card, you know? Like, <laughs> maybe. I'm surprised he didn't kick Moody's eye that was like rolling by, though, at the yeah. same time. 
Because that, that was a detail I don't usually catch when I read these, and I was trying to go slower. Because usually the action chapters, I just like speed up faster and faster as I read. And this time I was like, oh, look, there it goes. No, so yeah, uh, we'll we'll get into like what each, I'll break down what each Death Eater and what each member of the Order actually does in this fight. Because it can get all jumbled in the, the, the words here and it goes by really quick. But we'll break that down. But he also tries to use the same spell he used against Hermione against Harry, but he blocked it. So Harry uses the protection spell. But he still feels like a blunt knife across his face. Mm-hmm. And the force still knocked him sideways. So even him successfully blocking it, he still gets that type of feeling. That's a powerful spell that Hermione got the full force of. Oh, yeah. That's insane. If I were Hermione, once I'm like come back around and I'm saved, I'd be like, okay, let's go to the library figure out what the heck that was. Because <laughs> How are you going to practice that? Yeah. That, like, that's some dummies in the room of requirement because you can't really just practice that on the creepies. Yeah, you know. I doubt that. That's like in the restricted section. Oh, Absolutely. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, that is what Umbridge does not want these kids learning. Right. Um, but yeah, Harry ends up finally disabling Dolohoff. Um, we do get a uh, image of Tonks falling down the, the steps due to a Bellatrix spell. So Bellatrix bests Tonks here. Um, Malfoy tries to get to Harry, but gets blasted towards the veil. And the prophecy and uh, the prophecy gets tossed around here between Harry and Neville. It ends up in Neville's pocket. Um, it falls out of the pocket, gets kicked by his jerking legs. And smashes on the ground and the image pops up and you can see that the image is talking but no one can hear it with all of the surrounding booms and bangs and crashes and all that. Yeah, it describes as a pearly white figure with hugely magnified eyes rose into the air. So before we get into the, um, the knight in shining armor coming in here. Uh, I will go through what the Death Eaters and uh, the Order actually did here. So I'll go with the Order first. You get Sirius, who ends up dueling Dolohoff and Bellatrix during this whole scene. Lupin, in this sense, really is, I feel like, the most concerned with Harry's health. He tends to be around Harry the most mm-hmm. and running interference. Well, Sirius and- told Harry, like, take Neville, get out of here, because we're here now. Yeah. You get Moody, who ends up getting knocked to the ground by Dolohoff, uh, and it's not pretty. You, you mentioned the eye rolling on the ground, there's blood surrounding it. Like, Moody got taken by Dolohoff. Messed I mean, up. Yeah, so that's not nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Tonks um, sends a stunning spell at Malfoy, I think right at the beginning of this whole thing, um, and then shoots spells uh, at Bellatrix, so they get into uh, the duel. Bellatrix ends up besting Tonks. Kingsley duels two at once to start this whole thing off because he can do that. It's Kingsley. Uh, and then ends up dueling Rookwood later in the fight. No favoritism towards uh, Kingsley at all there. That's awesome. Just <laughs> coming into this whole scene and this is like... That's great. Um, So, Death Eaters. The Death Eaters in this chapter. You get Lucius Malfoy, who's obviously the leader of the group uh, because of his superior crafting skills. Uh, um, uh, Ends up gets blasted on the dais by by Harry. Bellatrix, a lot of taunting through the chapter, tortures Neville, best taunts in a duel, duel serious. Not ends up injured in the first, uh, first room. 
Uh, Jugson. They don't mention specifically much about Jugson in this chapter. Why? If you remember, Jugson and Dolohoff paired up and went in the room that Harry, Ron, or Harry and Neville and Hermione went into. The time room. The time room. Mm-hmm. Which means Dolohoff you see in the small office shortly thereafter. You know who you don't see? Jugson. Why? He's the one with the baby head. <laughs> so Jugson is presumably disabled. Baby head Jugson. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think the Death Eaters talk about that? Like, oh, yeah. God, remember when that co-worker turned into a baby? <laughs> what a day. I know I ended up with a couple of scars, but at least I didn't end up with a baby. <laughs> um, yeah, so you get, you get Rodolphus, who we don't really hear much about. Uh, Crab, you hear almost nothing about. Um, Rabistan, you, you don't hear much about. Dolohoff. Why have I been spouting the name Dolohoff in previous uh, episodes of this podcast? Because you're a fanboy? Mm-hmm. What did he do in this chapter? <laughs> Ladies, what did he do in this chapter? He hits Hermione with a very strong purple flame spell that knocks her out of this whole fight. Almost knocked Harry out of the fight while he was dodging it, while he was trying to protect himself. Kicks Neville in the face, breaks his wand, breaks his nose. Uh, he does get petrified by Harry at least once. Um, I think twice. Uh, knocked Moody out of the game, which is not nothing. To the point where his eye was rolling on the floor. Uh, disables Neville and Duel Sirius. Like, Dolohoff is active in this chapter. He's mediocre. <laughs> At yeah. best. Yeah. Kill him. Kill him. Uh, McNair ends up as the one that uh, grabs Harry around the neck to get the prophecy. He's shortly after stunned by Harry. And then Avery, who was tortured so long ago, uh, is not really mentioned very much in this chapter. Is doing much. Rookwood dueled Kingsley, and Mulsilver is not really mentioned very much either in this chapter. So you get some Death Eaters who contribute, and some that are just like, eh, I'm here. Like Dolohoff. <laughs> I will say the whole paragraph over again. Um, but anyway, uh, so you get this uh, knight in shining armor coming in. You get Dumbledore framed in the doorway of the brain room, and immediately... When he enters the fray, you get one Death Eater just ran for it immediately. We're just like, I'm out. Peace. <laughs> we don't get the name. Uh, not Dolhoff. And then just <laughs> just runs. You um, should have done like a magical spotlight on him. It's just like, oh, I've arrived. So, so here's the thing, though. Here's the, the epic thing that Dumbledore does. The Death Eater starts running for it. <laughs> he pulls him back <laughs> into the fight. He's like, nope. And come back, like a whole, if you're a Mortal Kombat fan, like Scorpion, like get yep. over here, like mm. just bringing him back in. Yep. Uh, just an epic move by Albus. So unconcerned with the 10 to 1 difference, that 10 <laughs> Death Eaters to 1 Albus Dumbledore, and he's just like, no, 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 I want the 10 on 1. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it back. It's such a baller move by Dumbledore. Yeah. Everyone essentially stops dueling at the sight of Dumbledore. They're like, okay, we're good. We're done. Like, it's over. This yeah. fight's over. Um, unfair advantage. Uh, except for one couple of duelers. We get Sirius and Bellatrix still going at it. Uh, why? They kind of have a history together. <laughs> a family history. Yeah. Um, they go back a bit. <laughs> so they continue their dueling uh, as Dumbledore rounds up the rest of the Death Eaters. And uh, Sirius ducks one spell taunts her about it and just as the taunts 
are leaving his mouth. He gets hit in the chest by a second, uh, quote, unquote, jet of light. We don't get a color. We don't get a description of the spell or whatever have you. It's just a jet of light. Um, and you can still see the laughter on his face. But you do see the surprise in his eyes as he falls through the veil. A look of fear and surprise on his face. Lupin grabs Harry as Harry's trying to run towards the veil to go get serious because he can't figure out why he didn't come out the other side. And Lupin goes, there's nothing you can do, Harry. Nothing. He's gone. And that's how the chapter ends. <laughs> Just heartbreaking. You get yeah. all of this action and then it ends on a... She's ended on negative cliffhangers before, like an Umbridge thing or a Voldy thing or whatever. This is like... This is a punch to the heart. Yeah, this is a downer. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. not a suspenseful thing, just like a... Whew. But it's also so quick, too. You know, like, if it was a prolonged death scene of, I'm always going to be with you, or something like that, like, yeah, that's emotional, but this is just like, it's he's here, he's gone. Poof. Yeah. So what do we think about this whole archway scene this whole auditorium scene here at the end with the dais soul crushing <laughs> i mean that's fair i, I mean it's a, it's a real punch to the gut it's just like it's hard because it's like you have this hope of like dumbledore coming in just angry and mm-hmm. like ready to fight and he'll save everything right well, here. you get and that like, hairy sense right yeah. you have that hope and then all of a sudden bam yeah serious gone I think it's a brilliant writing technique where she literally sets you up for that. And Harry's like, oh, I don't even have to go anywhere because this is over. Right. Yeah. Like, it's done. Yeah. Right. And and 90% of the participants agree. They're like, well, this is over. Yeah. All right. We're, we're mailing it in. And then you, that hope, you said it, like that hope rises in you. Like, oh, this is so great. Yeah. And then it's just really dashed in like a paragraph. Mm-hmm. It's over. In a sentence. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. He's gone. Such a and and it comes from Lupin of all people. I know, who has that connection with Sirius, and has that connection with Harry. Like of all the people in that room that could have, like, told him this, like hearing it from Lupin, I think is a whole other level. Yeah, yeah, it makes it more real. Yeah, that like death is permanent, and no matter what you try to do, like don't try to go through the veil to go get him because. That won't be good for you either. I'm yeah. sure when we pick back up after the break, Julie is going to have thoughts <laughs> on this, obviously. But yeah. but specifically, the and I made note of it for a reason. It just said jet of light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it didn't say green light, which we associate with a certain spell, which right. Death Eaters were using, I think, right out the gate in the clock room. One of mm-hmm. them tries to Avada, Kedavra, mm-hmm. uh, Hermione. Right. So, I mean... They were using that spell frequently. Yeah. Uh, but we don't get a description of the light, which I think has sprouted a ton of fan theories about maybe he's not dead. Yeah. Well, I was looking into some of those fan theories about not just the archway, but the room in general. So I went down a little bit of a Reddit rabbit hole. So there's the thoughts that um, the reason why Ron, or not Ron, why Harry and Luna could hear the voices and Hermione couldn't in the last chapter was that Hermione doesn't necessarily believe in the afterlife and only those who have faith in the afterlife and death could hear those voices. Hmm. Um, and then they were talking about the room itself. There was the theory, which I tried to find like 
the start of this theory, and I, I couldn't seem to find it, so I don't know the legitimate of this, but there was a thought that this room, because of the way it's set up, this was where the wizard gamut held their trials at first, and they used the veil as an execution of just, you're guilty, I'm going to push you through, and then you're gone. There's a thought that the veil is how people who choose to come back as ghosts, how they re-enter the mortal world. Um, so you just go in and come back out. There's the thought that this room is where they study, like, if you do experiments on dead bodies, like, what would that become? And then there's a the thought, like, if you did stick your hand into the veil, but not your whole body, like, what would happen to you? What would you feel? And there's a thought that maybe the dead would pull you inside to the, to the other side of the afterlife. Death is fascinating. <laughs> Such an Elizabeth quote. <laughs> it's so morbid, but yeah, I don't know. It, there's it, some interesting fan theories it, there's there. There's some interesting thoughts about this. I did like the thought that the reason why Hermione couldn't hear things is she is so logical about everything and having that faith in something beyond is... I mean, she likes proof, you know. Yeah. yeah. I know we are running long. This episode as a whole is going to be very, very long. <laughs> but I still want to get some thoughts on the chapter as a whole from you two. And I also have a, an interesting question of... We got five members of the Order. We got 12 Death Eaters. And we got uh, six kids. Who do you think shined? And who do you think kind of fell? Who deserves faltered? the MVP trophy? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Who do, you, who do you think really like stood out in this chapter as impressive? And who do you think kind of faltered? Uh, Malfoy's not getting that trophy. He was in charge and everything went chaotic. Was it his fault? To a degree. I mean, he let Harry... He talked to Harry too much. He was being too dramatic. That's the problem with the Malfoys. They're too much drama queens. He couldn't help... But bait Harry instead of just doing the job. Yes. Fair enough. So Malfoy's uh, faltered. <laughs> Lucius faltered. Who, who succeeded then? Who stepped up for you? Of the Death Eaters? Of anybody. Of anybody who was like, wow, that was impressive. I'm not including Dumbledore. Obviously Dumbledore is the most <laughs> impressive. Probably Neville and Luna. I mean, Neville, we, we see more of it just because Harry was with him. They got into the same room. So we see Neville like stand up to these adults who he has a history with. Luna, I feel like she probably did really, really well with navigating. And, I mean, of her, Ron, and Ginny, Ron probably should have been the most in charge, but if he was incapacitated because of that giggling spell, like, she stepped up to the plate. Okay. Molly, who you got? Um, I mean, I think I stated it early on in the episode, my MVP is Neville, for sure. Fair enough. Because you just, I don't know, you just see Neville shine. You see Neville kind of step up, like, to the plate, and, you know, he was he was the last of the, the kids to still be kicking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. Well, especially when you compare him to, like, the... He had a lot of bad puns in this episode. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving them. Thank you very much. It reminds me of, like, what we've seen of him from the first book to now. It's just so much growth. Right. You and uh, Julie use that whole horrendous teen lingo of, like, glowing up with his riz and all that, which... Oh, yeah, he's so lit in this chapter. It's great. Oh, okay. Guys are so <laughs> when I was listening to that episode, I was just like, oh, my gosh. You guys, you guys know. 
<laughs> You're not 15. Don't uh, use Riz. Hey, just because we're hip and down with the lingo. <laughs> Wait, did that go backwards? <laughs> what is it? He threw hands? No <laughs> uh, who you got as uh, your big uh, failure from the from the chapter? Yeah. Um... I mean, I gotta go with the baby head guy. That's fair. That's <laughs> I mean, a fair one. That's just right off the bat. You're done. Yeah, you're that's... stuck with a baby head. Oh, that's God. fair. That's fair. Do you think he has a wife who ends like going home with your spouse and be like, "Well, now you're married to a child." Because uh, I don't I think he ends up in St. Mungo's for a long time. Yeah. I think I, if we're being real about it, I think he ends up in St. Mungo's. I mean, they could give him aging potion, I suppose, but could you, do you just, like, stick the head in a vat of aging potion and just hope it works to a degree? I, I have That's no idea. That's up to the St. Mungo's people. He's on that long-term floor. I, I, I think so. I think he's on the long-term floor. I don't, I don't know that he's uh, coming out of this well. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's fair. Uh, I would say, I mean, goes without saying, Dolhoff, but I will, I will go a different character. I, I think Luna. Yeah. Gets, uh, even though she's not honestly featured a whole lot in this chapter, I think you see a different side of her. Mm-hmm. In, in a, I hesitate to use the word combat, but it is a combat setting, and she comes out of a lot of it unscathed, where Ginny and Ron did not, and they're more, I guess experienced in this type of thing and athletic and athletic exactly so that is surprising to i think a lot of people and the idea of her blowing up a planet in someone's face (laughs) is kind of awesome uh so i think luna deserves a lot of credit obviously neville gets a lot of love too but yeah now i'm just getting images of like star wars of luna's like blowing up the death star There's a fanfic for you somewhere. I feel like, too, Neville just really embraces bravery. He mm-hmm. steps up to the person that, you know, tortured his parents, and he's like, bring it on. Give me the same thing. Uh, no, I've said it That's before. I, I think this is, in a lot of ways, a Neville book. Yeah. Like, that growth that Neville has throughout this book is sensational. And this is kind of coming to to a point where, obviously, it's... It's sensational reactions by now. He had to have been imagining that kind of interaction ever since he read the... Oh, I'm sure he's thought about it a lot. ...article where it was like, oh, they escaped. Oh, I'm sure it's been on his mind a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, As far as my failure of the chapter, I got to go with not. Like, right out of the bat. (laughs) Right out of the gate, you're just a non-factor. At least Jugson made it to the second second room. Um, I'm going to make my headcanon that Crab got lost somewhere and just was like, oh. Yeah, he got know. confused by the doors. <laughs> he yeah. got, instead of going towards the doors in the prophecy room, he ran the other way. <laughs> They're like, wait, there's nine. Where's the tenth? And then they just wander into a room and Crab's trying to decide between two doors. <laughs> He's like, which one do I choose? Oh, that's funny. Just Dumbledore behind him. Like, mm-hmm. really, dude? Or it was locked and he didn't know the spell to unlock it. I was like, oh, well, that worked on me. I, Darn it. Then all being said, I, th- I think this adult version of Crab is probably a little smarter than his son happens to be, but I could be wrong on that. I don't know. Um, yeah, any other thoughts, comments on the chapter? It's a loaded one. If HBO 
to the to the HBO head cannon crew over there. <laughs> Just don't make it dark like the um, episode of Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Let us be able to like see like literally lighting <laughs> yeah. the lighting of the room. Yeah, because I was like, well, they can make this really dark. No, like, no, politics. make it dark, but like, don't make the lighting. Dark. The lighting. Dark. I got you. <laughs> don't just rely on the spells, like yeah. to light up the room. Yeah, to light right. up the room. That'd well, okay, that, that is fair. Would the room be dark because it's death? I and it, what is the lighting? I don't think they have overhead lighting. I always is there a nice chandelier over the top of it? I kind of picture like the way a room is lit when it's sunset. You know, like like that that dusk kind of twilight kind of oh, because it's like okay. it's dead. Where is that coming from though? I don't know. We got really sidetracked. Is it your in- interpretation of death? Like, yeah, just like, like the idea of like things are coming to the close, oh. like the day coming to a close. Or do you feel like lighting bright up top and then just gets darker as you... I could see that too as you go down the steps. Same idea, but yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I agree with you. Yes, yeah. please don't make it very like lighting dark. Yeah, I, I also want like actual dueling to take place. Yes, mm-hmm. and not just clouds wisping through the room, which mm-hmm. is stupid. I want them to make sure they pace it properly because I feel like the reason why it's so impactful that the the duel is as, as dramatic as it is is because they start off slowly with that going aisle to aisle to aisle and then having that conversation with Malfoy. Like, you're building the anticipation by delaying it. And then once, yeah, you smash the shelves and it's like, all right, let's, let's go. <laughs> like, pace it correctly. Yeah, I, I think pace. I also want them to. I really want them to explore the rooms. Yeah, like all of the rooms. Yes. And I want to. I want to see Luna floating in darkness, <laughs> exploding a planet. I want to see that. And Ron laughing about Uranus. Yes. yes. <laughs> there must. It's HBO. They could throw Uranus jokes in there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Stares directly at the camera and winks. <laughs> Tell the chi- to the children, Uranus is a planet. Meanwhile, Fred, George, and Lee somewhere just like face palming, <laughs> like, oh, some dumb joke was made somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, it has been a very long <laughs> first part of this episode. And uh, just buckle in because Jen and Julie are going to be coming after break with all of their thoughts. So. I'm excited to hear what they come up with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to go over the chapter, we're going to get their takes on it. So come back after break. And this will be a whole different episode <laughs> surrounding the same chapter. So we'll be right back. Alright, so we are back from break, and this is a whole new episode. Kind of. We have Julie and Jen with us. Hey everybody. Hey guys. And they will be talking about uh, this chapter as we go through kind of the non-spoilers and they'll give their thoughts. I did want to start off with a brief shout-out, though, that we got on chapter 33 fight and flight julie was on that chapter so that's why i'm bringing it up now uh the comment was uh so we put out the poll of who would you rather take instead of neville Ginny, and luna on this adventure and we put that poll on our spotify first part of the comment is well you can't have dean without seamus because i put dean but i didn't put seamus i should have put dean or seamus whatever uh so that's fair but the second part of the comment is I will not be using Riz or Glow Up anymore. <laughs> Thanks, I Stan. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for us, Dan. They did put a laughing emoji <laughs> at the end, just for the record. So does this verify that we're young and hip, or 
No. I'm no, not really. No, no. no. Oh, okay. That, that time has passed us by, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but thank you, Mabel, for that comment on Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 33. Um, we're glad you liked that little portion. <laughs> Hopefully you liked Elizabeth and Molly, me talking about that kind of stuff in the, in the first part of this. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be a little different. We're not going to go you know, stage by stage with this like we did in um, the first section, but I'll just open it up to you guys. What do you think about that Lucius Malfoy-Harry discussion back and forth in the prophecy room? I think Harry wins that conversation. A hundred percent. You think he wins the verbal joust? He wins the yeah. verbal joust. So why do you say that? He didn't hold anything back. A, name dropped Voldemort. B, was reminding everybody that he was a half-blood. He was not holding anything back. That was a bold move. It was a very yeah. bold move. Bellatrix wasn't having it. He was getting under their skin, I think. Yeah, well, I think also part of it is Harry, like, almost on the defensive. You're clearly outnumbered, which is ironic because, if we all remember, Harry only wanted the trio to go originally. Yeah. And now they show up and they're outnumbered two to one. Um, and I think at that point, it's, you can't talk to anyone for a plan. You can't just, like, start throwing out random spells because you're also up against a bunch of Death Eaters who, like, who knows what they're going to throw at you and all these friends that you were trying to protect anyway. So at this point, like, you know what? You might as well just start, like, throwing out, hey, it's Voldemort. He's a half-blood. And, like, just keep going because at this point, like, you just need to keep talking until, like... Someone, let's be real, he's probably waiting on Hermione, but like (laughs) until someone comes up with some type of plan, like just keep talking and stalling because you already figured out what they want um, and it seems like they don't want to damage it in any way, shape or form. So like just keep talking. Yeah. He's doing a good job delaying everything while he also figures out what the next move is. Yeah, and I'm sure that, like, part of talking about, like, the duality is, I'm sure that there's also him sitting there going, like, oh, my God, this is exactly what I was worried about, that we were all Mm going to come here, and you were all going to put yourselves in danger, and I'm Harry Potter. I'm the only one who can be in danger. But you know what? Mad props to Harry Potter for realizing his dumb life choices in this moment. (laughs) It's interesting because obviously Lucius has a history, even secondarily through Draco, with Harry. Mm -hmm. Bellatrix doesn't really know Harry personally. So every time Harry says something or does something, this is like, what are you doing? Like, Bellatrix is like mind blown by this kid. Well, and she also like keeps using all of this like baby talk and talking down to Elizabeth did a wonderful impression. I think is so funny that like, her, the way that she views Harry Potter is essentially the way that he was at Voldemort's first, like, downfall as, like, a little baby. And she's talking to him in that, like, obnoxious, terrible, like, baby talk way. Like, that's gonna change anything that happened. Like, she's, she torments everyone and this is, like, how she thinks she's going to, like, get under his skin. You get the interaction between Lucius and Harry. You get Bellatrix and Harry. And then you also get Lucius and Bellatrix going back and forth. And Lucius is like, wait, you don't know this kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I keep trying to figure out, like, what is... the Like, obviously they're both Death Eaters. But, like, the relationship between Lucius and Bellatrix. Because, like, when you read through it, it sounds very, like... Okay, would you just stop talking, Bellatrix? Like, it feels very, like... Okay, 
Yes, you were invited to come with, but please sit in the corner and keep your mouth shut. I think she's maybe seen a little... She always gave me the impression in, in this chapter, especially when we're really given the first look at her, of just unhinged. Mm-hmm. Like, she's very hard to... You're, you're not going to be able to tell if she's laughing one second and then cursing you the next. Yeah. And I feel like Lucius is very... Stoic is maybe the wrong word, but, like, Lucius wants to be in control. Lucius is... Even killed. Yeah. Calm, very controlled. calm, <clears throat> even killed. So, I think not only is he is he probably frustrated on the sense of he's trying to keep everybody focused, but he's also probably frustrated because he has to deal with this person who's just total wild card. Yeah. Yeah, they were clearly given a very specific directive here. Mm-hmm. Like, let's try to minimize collateral damage in case the thing I actually want gets harmed. Mm-hmm. Lucius seems to be following that narrative. Bellatrix doesn't seem to care as much. Lucius, I think, almost seems to understand the consequences of the... Uh, understanding that if something goes wrong, they're all going to get punished for it. Bellatrix almost seems like she'll just do whatever to she's try chaos. to get to the... Yeah, like she's just chaos personified. Yeah, she doesn't seem to really care about punishment too much. She does not. Other than she wants to be the punisher that everybody else. (laughs) She's like, oh, just torture the little one. I'll do it. Never mind. I'll do it. I'll just do it. Okay. All right. So obviously this takes a left turn, but they do mention, Bellatrix actually mentions that Voldy can't just walk in here and take this prophecy. And I pose the question to Molly and Elizabeth, so I'll pose it to you guys. Why not? Like, why can't Albus or Voldy, if they really thought this prophecy, this thing was, quote-unquote, a weapon or something to be used, they are god-level wizards. If they wanted to, they could go get it. Okay, so so I, I want to jump in on this because this actually ties into another point for the whole Lucius Bellatrix dynamic. Okay. Where I think that the way that they were approaching, the Death Eaters were approaching this, was they wanted to do the least amount of work and leave the least amount of evidence. And that's also why Bellatrix is a bit more of a walker because she doesn't care about torturing people or destroying things or doing whatever. But this ties into this question because the reason that they don't want to leave a lot of evidence in any sort of sense is because they don't want to give the ministry any sort of indicator that Voldemort is actually back. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason that they respond with when they're like, because I think Harry says like, why can't Voldemort just come in and take it? And they're like, because no one knows he's back, and we don't want to disrupt that. So, so you send like, 12 Death Eaters. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I I don't get it, because it's like, when you're talking about wizards who have this much power, mm-hmm. you're telling me that Voldemort couldn't find a way to get in there without notifying the Ministry? There's no way for that to happen when you have all of these, like, order members who are guarding it, and... All these Death Eaters, like, went in. Like, Bellatrix just hopped into the Ministry of Magic and no red flags were raised. Everyone's just like, oh, huh, must be a fluke in the system. Like, whatever. (laughs) Like, to me, I mean, Dumbledore, I don't think, would have to go in because the prophecy was said to him. Mm -hmm. So. I was thinking, like, just make sure that Voldy doesn't get it. I don't think he can... Oh, you mean just, like, take it? Like, bring Harry. Yep. Okay. Just bring Harry along. Hey, we're going on a field trip. It's more complicated now once book five starts, because him and Fudge yeah. had... But if you knew this was a thing that could be a problem, mm-hmm. 
book three, <laughs> book four, like, okay, take a field Okay, to be trip. fair, like, let's take a look back. Dumbledore never does anything preemptively. He's like, <laughs> you know what? Well, Maybe they won't try to do that, so we'll just wait on it. But you could say the same thing about Voldy. He's very kind about letting Harry finish his schoolwork before anything <laughs> like happens. Both of them are very cognizant of Harry's schoolwork. Please make sure you finish your exams and you get high marks, and then we will battle to your death. Like, seriously. Very considerate. Yes. If Voldy was, like, after the second or third time trying to, like, get an order member to break in for him or, like, Bode or whoever, don't you think he'd be like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to do this myself. <laughs> like, I tried the tricky way, quote-unquote. I'll just do it myself. I don't get why he can't just, like, show up, erase some memories, or, like, I get that Voldemort seems to be from what we know already in the books and from what we know in the future, he's very much like, I don't want to say hands off, but he's more like sit in the room and watch it happen mm -hmm. instead of actively doing anything. Yeah. And so I get it from that perspective. But at the same time, when you think about how elaborate of a scheme this all is to like get Harry there and how many breadcrumbs needed to be dropped along the way to get Harry to show up, to to hopefully show up without going to somebody in the order or to Dumbledore or to just being like, well, this one's probably a dream, whatevs. You know, we said that Lucius pitched his vision on like, uh, you know, uh, poster cards that he just like displayed to Voldy. Maybe Voldy had this whole thing this. on a vision board. <laughs> like just string to like one yeah. piece to the next. Maybe it's Voldy's idea. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, they do love their crafting as Death Eaters. Yes. So we get this massive explosion of prophecies that starts this whole escape from the prophecy room, and obviously the the six kids get split, and we do get uh, Hermione stunning one of the Death Eaters. I'm just going to call this as not. I'm going to say not is the one that gets stunned right here, who grasps Harry's shoulder. You hear stupefy, and then the hand releases. And then I'm, we don't really hear from not, other than Lucius being like, he's injured, forget him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that's not. I'm just going to, that's a complete assumption. <laughs> uh, Harry, Neville, Hermione, Ron, Ginny, Luna, and we don't hear from Ron, Ginny, or Luna for a while. Also, how can they destroy the prophecies? This is, I know we're backtracking a little bit, but if you can only touch ones that are relevant to you... You can still explode them, though. Yeah. Which leads to a whole thing of... Couldn't they have just elbowed the shelf that the prophecy with Harry was on, and then there's gotta be some type of they wizarding touch recording? It, though. Yeah, but they could. But just... you could levitate it, I guess. But yeah. they hurt. Wait, I'm even more confused. What's the specific part of the prophecy where it's you can the only the people who it's addressed to can take it? So the Dark Lord or Harry Potter. Right, but they hear other people's prophecies when they smash him. Yes. Correct. So. Yes, that's a good that's thought. That's what I'm saying. Yes, no, right. Why not just walk up to it, and whether it's like you use your magic to get it off, or you accidentally go like, oh, oops, yes. there's my elbow, and knocked over the prophecy, and just use some type of wizarding recording device. Just like, be like, everybody quiet. Yeah. yeah and it just goes down. Everybody shut up, I need to hear this. You, you just listen, and then Voldy just either yeah. breaks in your mind, or you do pensive, like, that's memory. What I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, you could do that, 100%. Yeah. But I'm very confused <laughs> as to why, like, only they can take it off of the shelf, but then afterwards they're like, hand it to me. And I'm like, doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose? Because Maybe it's just could... the magic of removing it from its pedestal. Yeah, but then know. you could just, you know, 
curse somebody and make them take off their own prophecy and hand it to you. This is this is a terrible security system. I, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I don't think they expect anybody to get that far to begin with in the labyrinth that they've set up here. There's some real holes in this. There is holes. There are holes, yes. But yeah, anyway, Lucius does take control, quote-unquote, and mm. split them all off into pairs. I wonder if there's, a, like, a popularity contest. Like, does he have to take into account, like... He, he doesn't like so. Bellatrix, so he's like, okay, Bellatrix, you're not with me. Mulciber, I like you. You with me. And then, like, <laughs> Crab doesn't work well with Jugson. Okay, now I gotta, like, pair them up. Was it that, or is it just who's standing next to each other? <laughs> you're just stuck be... with whoever you're standing next to okay. at that Possibly. time. Everybody pull straws. <laughs> I mean, with the way that they're acting already, it probably is, like, a pulling straws or, like... All right, everybody, pull a marble out of this bag. Whoever has the same color marble is paired together. Ah, this went sideways. Pull out the marbles. Yeah. Uh, you, you get some interesting pairs. We've heard Mac, uh, McNair and Avery before in the yeah. same breath, so you've got to assume that they're somewhat close. It's a little bit funny to see Crab here and not Goyle. I was thinking that the same thing odd. the entire chapter. Yeah. That is a little odd. And then Rookwood just has to go solo. Do you think they gave him the solo job because he has the most knowledge of the Department of Mysteries? So he's like, if you get lost, you can figure it out. I just figured they didn't like him. (laughs) (laughs) You don't get any backup. We don't really care. I think he raised his hand. He's like, uh, Mr. Malfoy, my partner is knocked unconscious. You're on your own. Figure it out. The first room we get into is the clock room. And there's a lot that goes on in the clock room and the small office adjoining to the <laughs> clock room. There's a lot of offices here. There's office, a lot of doors. Yeah. Which makes you think there's a lot of like crazy, crazy stuff. But what if half the doors are just small offices off to the side? <laughs> small, deserted offices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So A couple of desks, you know? <laughs> the real mystery is why there are so many offices. <laughs> so we get the clock room. Uh, what do you ladies think of the clock room and all of the transpires within it? The clock room's my favorite. Room. Is it your really? favorite room? Yeah. Why is that? Um, because I was really mes- mesmerized with the um bird. Oh, and the bell jar, uh, and the, the bell jar that just keeps getting born and then going back and then getting born and then aging and coming back. And I just thought that was really neat. And then, because the first I remember the first time reading it, I was like, oh, that's like a really interesting concept, whatever. And then when, uh. Who is it that falls into that and gets his head turned into a baby? Okay, so thank you for bringing that. Because I do have to correct myself. So insider information here. We're actually doing this episode a week after the the last section was done. And I had to read the chapter again. And I read this part three times. It's actually Rabistan. From my understanding, it's Rabistan who gets his head put into the, the bell jar and turns into a baby head. I thought it was Jugson, but it turns out Dolohoff and Jugson end up coming in later. They're the two that come in later. Okay. So it's, uh, what did I just say, Ravistan and Crab that enter this room first. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I also love when Hermione says, you can't hurt a baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Hermione is a death eater. Hermione, you can hurt a baby death eater. What's well, happening? What I think she feels guilt you? because she's the one that knocked him into that in the first place. Why should she? But why would she feel guilty why? about that? I get if she felt guilty about like hurting the baby, but it's like she knocked the Death Eater back, and that's just kind of what happens when you. Who I believe was literally about to kill her. Yeah, right. and okay, so also I figure out something that would have saved the kids a whole lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. What they should have done. <laughs> Is as they knocked back Death Eaters, they should have snapped their wands. 
That would have been smart. Yeah, if... Because think of the number of times that they were in a room where one or both of the Death Eaters after them got knocked out or, like, you could have just... Petrified. Yeah, petrified, whatever. You could have summoned their wand as soon as you got it, either held onto it in case one of you lost your wands, or Mm -hmm. you just snap it in half. And then, like, hey, you just took out, like, a dozen Death Eaters because now none of them can do magic. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I think... It's it's a situation where they're just panicked. They're well, like, yeah. can we get out of here? Well, because <laughs> like, well, I was thinking about it, and I was... Because that was my original thought, too, is I was like, I don't know. They're probably just so panicked and trying to get out yeah. of there. And I was like, but at the same time, like, I feel like that's a very quick and logical, like, thing of the, like, wait a minute. Their wand? Especially when they had to call over... Was it Harry who lost his wand? Neville disarmed both <clears throat> the Death Eater and Harry yes. at one point. Um, and then they summoned Harry's wand, and then as soon as I read that, I was like, wait a minute. If they just did that to every single Death Eater that they, like, knocked out... I think it's a survive in advance. Let's survive this encounter and move. (laughs) Like, um, That would have been smart. But speaking of breaking wands, Neville gets his broken in this sequence. What are our thoughts on Neville's wand, which is a hand-me-down from his father? Is that why Neville has always been so clumsy with magic? The wand chooses the wizard. We've seen before in the series that, um, like, when Ron didn't have his own wand, his magic was kind of wonky. And once you get your own wand that chose you, your magic's better. So maybe for the past four, almost five books now, the reason that Neville's magic has always been a little so-so is because it isn't actually his wand. Do you think that magic started to become better because he started to maybe embody what his father was a little bit more? He started to stand up a little bit more, started to embrace that more action-oriented well, type of... I think... Because he did better in the DA. Yeah, I think part of it is, it seemed, from what we've seen in the past books, is your, like, confidence level also yeah. seems to affect your magical ability. Like... Hermione has read so many books and so many details of so many spells that, like, for her, she's so meticulous on it that, like, it almost creates that confidence, and that's why she's such a powerful witch. Whereas anyone else who's just kind of like, all right, let's make this happen, like, there's always some type of explosion or something goes south or it's not fully complete, and so I think a lot with him being friends with the trio, it's kind of given him that, like, confidence boost so i think you start seeing especially with the da like he starts to get that confidence he starts to see that he can do it i don't necessarily think that it's he has some connection to his father or his father's abilities or his father's like like like-mindedness i just think that he's starting to get more confidence which is what's showing more of the power but i think if he had that confidence and his own wand right we'd be talking very formidable wizard. Well, no, that point that you made is like, what's that comment that his grandmother always makes? Well, he's not like his father. Mm -hmm. He's not like his father. Well, now he's becoming more like his or father. And now that maybe connection is growing between him and the wand all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I like that pull. That was, yeah, I didn't think of that before. But yeah, it's just seeing from that Christmas on the ward scene to now and his wand breaking. Yeah. And then, you know, Molly made the point of like, wouldn't you just want to pick that up and (laughs) like have it? But again, the, the panic situation of like, well, it can't help me now. I gotta get out of here. Yeah, I'm surprised that you wouldn't still grab it anyway, thinking that even a 
broken wand is better than no wand. Not that that's necessarily the case. I mean, look at Ron in book two when his wand was broken. If I was in this situation, I would be like, I need the wand, let's go! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what do we think? So the small office, there's a lot happening in the small office. Uh, you get Neville kind of being beaten up both physically and I guess emotionally with that moment. And then, (laughs) but this is where the, the Hermione moment comes because she does silence Dolohoff, Mm -hmm. but then he silently attacks her and then we get her being incapacitated for essentially the rest of this chapter. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, I think that's a scary thing for in characters and that's a scary thing for us as readers being like, oh, they're not, not necessarily plot armor. Like, she got hit full force with a Yeah, well, spell. and also Hermione is always kind of the one that gets them out of the tricky situation. Right. Like, she's yeah. the clever one. And she's the first one down. Yeah, and she's the first one down, and it kind of, like, shocks you a little bit. Yeah. Because you're like, hold on, not only from the plot or the plot armor perspective, but also just from the, hold on. If I were to pick one person that was going to come out of this, like, alive and potentially unharmed, my money would probably be on Hermione more than anyone else. Um, And I think that's kind of a little shocking as a reader, like, that you've come this far and you see one of the main trio so, like, gravely injured in such a perilous situation. Because I think they've all had, like near-death experiences before, but it always ends up being in this, like, climactic, like, everything's gonna turn out okay, whereas, like, while you're in the Department of Mysteries, it just seems like it's a, like, and you get attacked, and you get attacked, and you get attacked all right after each other. It's a lot of chaos. That I feel like it's the one time that you're like, oh, God, one of them is not making it this time. I like it because it's... A good reminder that the situation is a lot more serious than all the other times. And also, not just for the reader, but kind of to the point of what you were saying, where the kids aren't... The kids have done really well in all of their past situations and in the DA, and they've practiced all of these things, but it's not that environment. So it it sort of feels a little bit like, for as much as they're panicking, they're not going in for the kill necessarily mm-hmm. for things not that they should be killing but the the expression right so like they're not they've silenced dolohov but they're not taking the next step yeah they're not point. silencing him and then knocking him out it's actually one of the things that like i took a note on is that it's almost embarrassing that the death eaters keep getting like <laughs> schooled by these kids yeah. using like basic hexes and like they're not doing anything that's like super damaging or harming and yet every single time it's like oh let's disarm you look ta-da stupefies like half of it yeah like every single simple but effective i mean it's simple but effective but it's like you're talking death eaters and every time it's like hey here's this thing that you learn in your third year at hogwarts and uh well i think it's I, I think it's a combination of, I don't know that the Death Eaters expected combat-ready kids. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't think they expected that. And I, just from the opening conversation with Bellatrix, she's like, I'm sorry, you're giving instructions like you have a chance here? Really? Like, you don't have a chance here. 
So that caught them completely off guard. Yeah. But I think Hermione got caught off guard in a rare circumstance. I don't think she was expecting a nonverbal spell. Right, yeah. I think she thought ahead and was like, oh, if he can't say anything, he can't attack us. Yeah. Misstep. Yep. Absolutely. Rare misstep, but... But also, why are the Death Eaters playing with kids' gloves? Right. They're Death Eaters. At the end of the day, like, they... I mean, they are more complex individuals in some cases for some of them. But at the end of the day, they're Death Eaters. What do they care about any of these kids? Or if they're injured or if they're killed, kill the spare at the end of book four. And now all of a sudden you're sitting here and you're, Are you're like... Are you telling me that Wormtail's oh. the most effective Death Eater? <laughs> I mean, at this point, yes. Because they're all sitting there and trying to get Harry to hand over the prophecy. And they're like, now please, just hand it over and no one gets hurt. Oh, let me tell you a second time. Hand it over and no one gets hurt. And it's like... And then you're like, oh wait... They're running. Oh, no. Guys, let's pair off. Let's go chase after them. But, you know, don't kill Harry. But also, don't kill anybody else, guys. I think you're getting directive. I think you're getting, like, he did it in the graveyard scene at the end of book four. He's like, no, no, no. I got this. You don't harm him. I got it. So there's that. So they're all on edge being like, if we harm Harry Potter, we get harmed. (laughs) You know? Yeah, but what about everyone else? They could still... Dolph could have killed Hermione right here. That's what I'm saying. I mean, he... But, I mean, that's a spell that, A, we haven't seen before, and clearly it packs a heck of a punch. Yeah. But why not uh, kill her? Oh, I mean... When they already said... Right. Don't kill Harry, kill everyone else. Because I I can understand the argument for... Like, Bellatrix, I think, is the most... Maybe Death Eater of yeah, all, like De- Bellatrix is the only one who's acting like you would expect a Death Eater act to act yes. in this situation. Think- Even she is not casting Avada Kedavra at anyone, and I wonder to what extent there's concern about things like ricocheting if they're like properly deflected, and Maybe. like Harry could have accidentally been a casualty. But that doesn't explain the situation that we're describing. Well, of this is a direct shot that Dolohov has at her non-verbally. Mighty. If it's verbal, does that pack more of a punch? Real question. It's the killing spell, though. What can yeah. you not Crab, Crab tried right up, right out the gate. He tried to hit Hermione with it. I don't think yeah. they're pulling punches. I don't think they're trying to pull punches. They're trying to harm these kids other than Harry. So are you saying that there are certain spells that are... There's more than one lethal spell, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can see that and that you might have... Chose... I don't think they're pulling punches. I think they are. I think they're... Who ultimately wins this? All the kids are disabled. At the... the Death Eaters tend to one have this thing won and wrapped up. It's the intervention of non-kids who mm-hmm. who sway this whole battle. It's over. The Death Eaters have won. They've gotten what they need. And then swaying over is non-kids. <laughs> it would be genuinely embarrassing if, it wa- if the Death Eaters weren't able to subdue the kids. While they're outnumbered. While At they're least outnumbered. if there was like a one-to-one, I could give you the like... I don't know, he's Harry Potter and seems to do this every year at the end of the school year, but, like, at least if it was, like, a one-to-one, I could see the, like, I don't know, a couple of missteps and a couple of, like, yeah, they got lucky, like, fine, but, like, when it's, like, two-to-one, I would sure (laughs) hope that you, like, full-grown wizards would be able to take out a bunch of 15-year-olds. I mean, really, (laughs) they they did clean it up pretty quick. I mean, Dolohoff... Knocked out Hermione almost instantly. 
Luna gets taken out the second, like, five Death Eaters rush through a door. Ron gets disabled by a brain, technically. Yeah. <laughs> so not the Death Eaters. <laughs> not the Death Eaters. And then Ginny gets stunned in the face. Ouch. That has to hurt. That yeah. can't be great. And, and she then, got her ankle broken. That was from yeah. Luna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is why I'm like, there's some collateral damage happening, yeah. which is another factor in this whole thing. Of mm-hmm. Collateral damage has to be, like, flying everywhere. But anyway. Just talking about the DA, because I was thinking about this as they all kept getting injured and hit with, you know, giggling curses. Mm-hmm. Uh, why was there not a focus in the DA on some type of, like, healing charm or counter charms or anything to help if you get hit with any of the things they're teaching them with? That's a good question. That's fair, too, because the Death Eaters seem to be reviving each other mm-hmm. as they go, and the kids are like, oh, they're down. Moving on. Well, it's like Ginny (laughs) with... The thing that was most, like, glaring to me was Ginny with her ankle. And I'm like, wait, you You guys... There's nothing that's some type of, like, you know, magical ace wrap. I'm I'm not... I'm not dissing Luna here, but would you let (laughs) Luna Lovegood repair your ankle with a spell? In this situation? Probably. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know that Ginny would. <laughs> Ginny's probably like, you broke my ankle. Okay, stay I'm away, a little stay disappointed in Ginny that Ginny, of all people, wouldn't know how to, like, repair her. Like, she just strikes me as someone who would know something like that. She's she also has, still fairly young. I mean, they are still She has Fred young. and George as brothers. Yeah. You're telling me she never had to have an ankle repaired? I'm thinking she would have learned from Molly Weasley. Well, You're yeah. telling me Molly Weasley did not have to repair bones on the regular? She's not a healer at St. Mungo's either. Like, she could probably do cuts and some... Bumps and bruises. I'm sure she could heal a broken bone or splint it or something. There's I'm disappointed. Throwing in the shade on St. Mungo's healers. Come on, medical professionals. Are <laughs> no, there not on St. Mungo's. I just think Molly Weasley, especially with Fred and George's children. Like, First aid is probably required yeah, at the borough. And yeah. some level <laughs> of like being able to stabilize it yes, so it that she could move. Yeah. Yes, it yeah, does seem it. to be a general flaw. Like defense against the dark arts, you should really learn some sort of. Well, yeah. It seems to be a lot of attack, 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 attack. Here's this one defensive spell. Attack, attack, attack. (laughs) That's fair. The brain room. Let's get to the brain room. Uh, What are your opinions on the brain room? What are your thoughts? Wait, before we get to the brain room, can I I just say one more thing I really liked about the clock room? (laughs) (laughs) I really liked the clock room. Yes, we can go back to the clock room. We didn't talk about the time turners. Oh, yeah. The whole thing in time turners that just falls and then Hermione stuns Crab. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was neat. And then as he's flailing about with a baby head, he breaks more and more and more. And Mm -hmm. it's just like this cascading effect of time turners. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a neat. um, So did they sort of go down into that room to get the time turner for Hermione? Apparently. I would assume so, yeah. Did they, like, have to file paperwork with an unspeakable, (laughs) I guess? I don't know how that works. That's a whole question of like, that's how do you access these things? Yeah, like, can you even like, access the prophecy room? I don't know. Well, that's what I kind of wonder too, because like, is the prophecy room just kind of ch- chilling there, and no one knows it exists? It, like, what's its purpose? Can Why do they all sit there? If the only people who can access it are the people who yeah. it's about, like, do you get some type of like, I don't know, like owl that says there's been a prophecy in your name please report to the ministry and they just stole harry's like i like the idea of an owl notification <laughs> it just hoots as like the... like it just comes with 
with a note that says, like, report to the Ministry of Magic. Everyone ignores it because they think it's, like, you know, the wizarding version of jury duty. And they're like, I'm not showing up there. But to your point, Jen, that that, that room, that clock room, mm-hmm. throws everything into question. Because you'd think they'd have to go into that room for the time turners. Mm-hmm. So then... Are there access to other rooms? Or is that the where right. the time turners are created? Maybe it's not where they're stored, it's where they're created. It's like a time turner incubation. <laughs> like it, Well, yeah, but it's like almost yeah. like a like, you know, Area 51 type deal. Or is it where they study time to then make more and they just store them there? Could be that too. My cuz my thought is that if they're created there and then it ta- I would assume it Takes time. Uh. <laughs> it's been a very funny episode. Yeah. <laughs> but like if it takes time for them to be created, that maybe that's why that room exists in the Department of Mysteries is that's where the time turners are created, not where they're stored. Because if it's where they're stored, wouldn't more people be interested in breaking into the Department of Mysteries? Who I guess that is a good question of who who knows what's in there and how do they know it and how much do they it know? It seems like Fudge is completely removed from that. Like, I don't even know that the Minister of Magic himself has control over this. But we know that Dumbledore knew that there were time turners. Yeah. Dumbledore knows Dumbledore. a lot of things, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's true. laughs> but, I mean, we, we'd have had the talks of, like, were these rooms always here and they built the Ministry of Magic on top of it? Like, were these mysteries of magic always generally in these locations and they've just kind of built around i always looked at it as like the department of mysteries is a lot like disney imagineering we're like they're the <laughs> ones developing it we're getting a oh. disney reference on a jen and julie episode crazy yes. <laughs> who could have seen that coming Continue um, with your imagination. But, so the only, but like what Patton and I had when we were talking about this was like, so when, <laughs> I'm going to try to keep this brief, but like when Disney <laughs> developed the technology to do magic bands, mm-hmm. the Imagineers set up a specific area where they set up like all the um, uh, turnstiles and all of the, um, all the tech, and, all the tech yeah. associated with it. And then that was like the warehouse that they used where they tested everything. And only specific people who were working on that project were allowed in that warehouse. And then eventually they expanded it and they showed people and then they moved the technology out of it. So in my mind, it was just kind of the same thing of like, they're developing or investigating or studying the, the, the utmost, I don't know, maybe there's something that's very <clears throat> mysterious about the magic that's behind these things. So they're trying to figure out what they can harness from it. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I viewed it as almost like a detention center for the things that they couldn't explain or they thought were too dangerous that... They instead built almost like a fortress under the Ministry of Magic. And once it was discovered or found, they essentially moved it so that no one could stumble upon it. The brain room. Or Jen, do you have other things on the clock room? <laughs> no, I'm done with the clock room. I just wanted to bring up the time turn. Uh, the brain room. A, what's our two cents on what the brains are? And B, uh, I just personally loved when everybody's in there and Ron goes, Akio brain, and then everybody, and everybody pauses, pauses and is like, what is about to happen? Even the older experienced dead leaders are like, I have no clue what's about to happen right now. Hold on, let me get my popcorn. <laughs> like Rookwood's probably in there being like, I've wanted to know the answer to this question. <laughs> when I read that, I like audibly laughed. Like, you're getting ready to throw another curse, and then all of a sudden you hear him summon a brain, and you're like, 
Oh, hold on a second. I gotta watch this. <laughs> well, it's kind of like Dollhoff earlier in the side room of the clock room. There you go. There's another mention. When the baby headed Death Eater comes in, and even Dollhoff is like, uh, what is that? And... <laughs> well, the what funny is thing is, is, like, I think, you know, summoning a brain versus, like, your fellow de- Death Eater coming in with a baby head, like, could you imagine your best friend walking okay. in and they're... Here's the thing. I think baby head would be a lot more distracting than some idiot teenager summoning a brain but... that you don't care about. A teenager that you don't care about and that you should want to see dead and that you should have, like, you know, kicked in the gut or something because he's still moving. Like, instead, you're like, oh, no, is this brain going to hurt him? <laughs> Like, no, I think on. they were like I think they were genuinely wondering like what is even going to happen? Are they all going to come? What even happened? What are they? I don't think anybody knows what these things actually are. I don't understand why they didn't when everybody pauses and looks at it why one of them just didn't I, they don't all need I to think pay it's attention. a mark. Nobody has common sense in this chapter. They don't. I think it's a <laughs> if you went into a room that you had no idea and you knew it was supposed to be a mysterious mysteries of the whole like I don't know, I wanted to call it faith, but like the magic that is, and you had no idea what anything was, and then something happened, you wouldn't be curious to be like, uh... Okay, but at this point, like, Voldemort, you need to pick better lackeys, because like, you're telling me you can't get anyone better than this? I think even Dumbledore and Voldy would be curious to be like, oh, what's that gonna do? No, I think Dumbledore would be like, I'm on this mission, I'm gonna figure it out, and then I'll go back and see what these brain things are. They're curious people too. My first thought in that scenario is, is this thing going to hurt me? So if I'm surrounded That's by a like right, yeah. so like if I'm surrounded by four other Death Eaters, I'm like, okay, I'm still concerned that this thing is going to hurt me, but I also have a bunch of people around who are theoretically on my team and aren't supposed to let me get hurt. So I'm going to then go to point two. What was I sent here to do? Yeah. I was sent here to get the prophecy of the guy who's standing ten feet away from me, who's also distracted so, by the brain. So while everybody's looking at the brain, go. Now we we did skip over one room. Kind of that point of, like, you don't know what these rooms really have in store for you when you get down to it. Yeah. Like, when they got into the space room, I don't think anybody expected to just be floating in darkness randomly, either. I think that was probably a surprise to most people yeah. that entered that yeah. room. So you kind of have to roll with whatever punches, and when some curveball is thrown at you, you got to be like, uh, what's about to happen? Especially if you've been through multiple, multiple rooms already, you got to be, like, a little hesitant to, to interact with what's in there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's, I would be. That's why I'm saying it. I, like, I would be cautious. I mean, you just saw a baby head Death Eater. <laughs> You've been floating around in darkness. There's a lot going on here that's concerning. Okay. Random thought on what the brains could be. Okay. What if the brains, like, are little, literal brains of, like, magical greats to help unravel, like, the mysteries within magic? So you think this is like... Almost like a preservative of like Merlin's brain. Or when Dumbledore like at some point passes that like his brain gets added into the collective. Or whether it's magical greats or it's all wizards of just like the brain kind of gets added and what they're in is some type of like preservative to... Is it like milking knowledge from them? Or I, I don't know. Like... I just thought about this now, Dan. It's not really a full okay. thought yet. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I was intrigued by your whole 
We came up with the idea that because it described the tentacles almost as like movies with like flickering images, we were thinking maybe memory based. Well, that's to go into that same direction though, is like say it's Merlin's brain mm-hmm. that it's his like memories and connections with magic, and that maybe the whole point of that room is to kind of figure out where magic comes from and all of the like small little like nuances of magic. So what you're saying is someone really needs to interview Ron after this and be like, what was that experience like? <laughs> Tell us about this. Yes. Albus needs to have a sit down with Ron and be like, let me pick your brain. I always thought that it was kind of a, a backhanded statement of like knowledge can be dangerous because it's instead of it being like memories that are coming from the brain, I always thought it was just kind of like, it, like memories in a different sense, memories that are maybe tied to so it's like Merlin's brain and he has a lot of knowledge based on magic and mm-hmm. then he takes it out but using that to it being given to someone who doesn't know what it's capable of it does physical damage to Ron just like how having that knowledge could be dangerous in the hands mm-hmm. of someone who doesn't know what they're doing I think just these to your point like magic can be dangerous I think that's like all of these rooms get that to such a deep level. Like, even the yeah. prophecy room. Like, just knowing yeah. the potential future. Not the potential. Knowing what the future will be mm-hmm. is inherently dangerous. So it's like, every room here is designed to... Remind you of that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hence why I would be very cautious walking around <laughs> when things are getting disturbed around me. <laughs> when Pluto blows up, blows up in my face, I'm like, that's not fun. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, a real uh, question when pluto blows up does it do anything to the planet pluto are they connected in any way so that's work. what elizabeth thought is that's why pluto's not a planet anymore oh that's just connection really connection of the real world in harry potter <laughs> uh when it happens in harry potter it became a fact um so now to your point about not using real spells from the death eaters we do get another different spell here we get some of the Death Eaters firing silver light arrows that create craters in the wall. and That's solid. Yeah, right? If it's creating a crater in a wall, I'm assuming it will create a crater in your head or chest. Mm-hmm. So it made me think of that's an example, and the purple flame that Dolohoff uses mm-hmm. are examples, albeit rare examples in these books, but examples of the adult magic that we get in the Fantastic Beast movies where it's like, these these kids aren't at that level yet. Yeah, <laughs> like this is this is a step above and beyond what they're prepared to deal with. So there's hints, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is also one of the first times in the whole series that the kids feel more like kids. Yes, than mm-hmm. adults. Yeah, um, both from like the fear, how they kind of panic under pressure, and seeing some of the more I don't know grown up magic. I guess we can call it. Like, I feel like now is where we're actually starting to see that, like, these are teenagers who, in reality, don't know what they're doing. They're just kind of, like, hoping that it works. Um, And it's kind of nice to see that for once instead of just the, like, oh, hey, I stumbled into the Chamber of Secrets and came out alive! Right. Yeah. Um, So it's nice to kind of see the like when they're up against a group of adults that are coming on the attack that it's not just a like 
stupefy, look, they're all stunned. One of the, I think one of the nice things about this series is that there is such a turn between book three and book four, mm-hmm. and this is a continuation of that turn of like, yay, consequences. Yes. <laughs> I think there's definitely uh, a level up taking place here mm-hmm. of, oh, this is this is above us. <laughs> like, we're, we're in real trouble right now, especially at that point in the brain room, there's only Harry left standing, really, because Neville, I guess, is available, but he's... <laughs> Broken nose, he's making his speech <laughs> messed up. He can't cast He doesn't have his own wand. Yeah. Like, and he's carrying Hermione from room to room, and now Luna and Ginny are also down. So we get to the stone archway room, because, uh, as we've noted, you shouldn't just rush into a room randomly, especially in this area, and Harry does, and then he stumbles down however many uh, layers of stairs. He should have been a lot more hurt from that than he was. He, he fell probably. down a bunch of concrete uh, he, stairs. By the way, he's also concussed. He's Perfect. definitely yes. concussed from earlier. I literally have a note that says, how are these kids still going with these injuries? Because right. so many of their injuries, like, uh, listen, Hermione's is probably the worst. Near yeah. fatal. Like, yeah. But even when you look at, like, Ginny with a broken ankle, and she's still like, all right, let's go, guys. Like... <laughs> What? No. Like, Ginny's how? She's a tough. That's her quidditch coming through. Listen, She's I love tough. Ginny. But I'm just saying, like, how are these, again, remember, 13, 14, yeah. 15 year olds mm-hmm. who are getting these severe injuries? Like, even think of Neville, who, you know, what is gushing nose, down his face? Like, broken blood nose, is blood. Gushing, is a lot. and he's just like, well, let's keep going. Like, I'll carry Hermione. That's a, yeah. that's a boss <laughs> move by Neville right yes. there. But, like, I just, I don't get how they're all, like, Harry, I mean, Harry's gonna, Harry, yeah, Harry's gonna Harry. It's a little beyond belief that all of these kids were still able to make it into It's a miracle. It's a straight up miracle. The odds of them getting through this are minuscule at best. Like, it's gotta be single digit percent percentages right not that this book is rooted in realism but like it doesn't, it doesn't feel terribly real yeah we do get some interesting interactions in the archway room before even more <laughs> chaos happens so despite jen and julie saying the death eaters are ineffective it is a 10 to 1 <laughs> advantage right here yeah. with one of my favorite quotes of the chapter hasn't dumbledore taught you how to count <laughs> <laughs> That was beautiful. (laughs) He he does like to pick. I just love that even though, like, I'm not saying that the Death Eaters were, like, losing at this point, but the Death Eaters were definitely, like, you know... Oh, they were hamming it up. They were were taking a beating from a bunch of teenagers, and Lucius Malfoy is still like, listen, Harry Potter, have I still got some snark for you? (laughs) I mean, ten to one at this point is a pretty... That's a pretty heavy... Advantage. Yes. There are the two missing Death Eaters. Death Eaters are still not in Rabistan, but everybody else, well, one of them, they didn't mention who is bleeding pretty badly at this point, but whatever. Neville, bless him, tries to help out again. <laughs> He's not alone. Gets immediately captured. <laughs> and then, then the interesting interaction between him, Malfoy starts it. Malfoy starts the whole thing with, oh, your family is used to losing people to our cause. Which is, that's a dark line. And then Bellatrix just comes right over the top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was like, if you think that was a bad comment, just wait. 
And then, then what? I'll let you guys. What do you guys think of the whole Bellatrix Neville interaction? Well, I do want to point out that while Neville was a little moronic for doing the, he's not alone. Like <laughs> you read it and you're like, bro, not the time. Yeah. Um, read the room. Yeah. <laughs> this is where you hide and then surprise. But. It is where we're starting to see more of Neville's, like, Gryffindor qualities mm-hmm. is in here. And not just in the, like, I'm going to go with to this. Because, I mean, we kind of saw that a little bit in book one of Neville standing up to the trio. But, like, where he's sitting there and, like, it's ten to one. Neville has been carrying Hermione for who knows how long. And he has a broken nose, blood's, like, everywhere. He doesn't have... The wand that he's used to, I won't say his wand because it's not technically his anyway, but he doesn't have the wand that he's used to. And he's like, he's not alone, knowing that Bellatrix is like right there. Um, Like you start seeing that bravery of Mm -hmm. the Gryffindor, which is kind of cool. I think the whole Bellatrix being there lights a fire in him from the start. And I think just a... A switch gets flipped. Which does show how much Neville's changed, though. Like, think of how Neville reacts mm-hmm. to Snape. Like, Snape torments him, and instead he, like, cowers and hides. I mean, then you have Bellatrix. You would think that his first thought would be a, like, I saw what she did firsthand. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, maybe I shouldn't have come with. And instead, <laughs> he's like, you. You. We're ending this. So not really, but <laughs> way to go, Neville. She yeah. she is like we're ending. Yes. This. <laughs> and this this Death Eater is like, can someone just stun this kid already? Like I'm tired of holding him and like he's <laughs> wriggling around. Can someone just stun him? And then Bellatrix just goes one up and is like, forget stunning. I'm just gonna like full on torture this kid yeah. to insanity. I do like this uh, this description though, and I want to get your opinion on this description that Harry gives of Bellatrix. Truly evil smile. We've seen Voldy before. We've seen a whole book of Umbridge doing awful, awful things. Mm -hmm. This is the first time he's used the words truly evil with someone. Poignant? I think so. I mean, it also shows how twisted Bellatrix is. Like, Bellatrix doesn't see this as a, we need to get the prophecy she sees it as a, hold on, I remember what I had fun doing to your mother and father, and now I'm going to finish the job with you. L- look at this complete little circle. Like, for her, this is fun. Mm-hmm. She doesn't care about the prophecy anymore. This is all about her being able to, and it's not even to, like, you know, complete the set or anything like that. It's purely a, like... Sadistic. Yes, it's purely sadistic. And for her, like, I don't think anything else matters. And that's why Harry is describing it as truly evil. Because now, like, it doesn't matter what happens to anyone else in that room. The Death Eaters have already won. They don't need to kill anyone. They don't need to hurt anyone. At this point, like, you could let Neville do whatever... Neville wants to do because there's it's still 10 to 1. She's yeah. choosing to do this for her own like sick pleasure. I think Bellatrix is not insidiously evil like Voldemort and Umbridge are. 
I think Bellatrix is just unhinged. Yeah. Like... She's just insane. She's just nuts. Hmm. Not crazy crazy, but like evil crazy. I'll go with both. <laughs> no, right. Mine's not usually excessive. Yeah. So, so, so. Mine is an addendum to Julia. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think the interesting part about it too is that this happens and then uncharacteristically Harry just gives up. Yep. At this point he has come this far. He's seen all of his friends gravely injured and he sees Neville being tortured and then Harry just gives up. And I get it, he's trying to... Where, is that, where else is he supposed to go at this point? Well, but you would have to think at that point, do you really think if you hand the Death Eaters the prophecy that they're going to be like, all right, well, um, we'll walk you upstairs so that you guys can tend to your wounds. <laughs> like, no, my assumption, if I was Harry, and it wouldn't be a, well... Everybody's injured, and I need to get it to stop. It would be a, okay, well, I'm outnumbered. It's clearly just me. Either way, we're probably not getting out of this alive, so I'm not going to let them have what they want. I'm going to go down fighting. Do you think that... I think if he was alone, he would have. I think Neville, seeing Neville in that position, broke him. And it was like, I, I can't, I can't do that. Well, I think that's why he gave up, yeah. was because then he sees Neville being actively tortured. He sees that all of his friends have been hurt, coming to, not even to his defense, but to just rally behind him. Do you think that, uh, that also points back to what you said at the very beginning of Lucius and Bellatrix. Bellatrix is like, I'm going to torture this kid. Lucius is like, okay, what we're here for. <laughs> like, like, let's focus on what we're actually here for. And he gets so close to achieving his goal. And then reinforcements arrive. We get the five reinforcements of Sirius Lupin, Moody Tonks, and Kingsley. So now that there's ten Death Eaters still standing, and now I guess six, roughly. I guess still Count Neville, even though he's really banged up. So seven, I guess, total. Ten v seven. But I love uh, how the reinforcements come in. It's not just out of nowhere randomly. It's like they're coming in from above and they are raining fire. Like the whole scene mm -hmm. from yep. Endgame of just like rain fire. Like yes. Spells are raining down chaotically. They have that high ground, as Obi-Wan would say. Uh, I'm using all kinds of... I'm using Marvel. I'm using Star Wars. This is great. Um, we have all the Disney IP today. <laughs> all of it. They, they have, uh, if Jen can do it, I can do it. They have... Um, but yeah, they have that high ground to like attack with, and it just sends everything into chaos. I think what it feels like to me happens with this is when the Order comes in to this fight, that's when the Death Eaters actually step up, because the action gets described with a lot more chaos. There's a lot more spells flinging mm -hmm. around, there's a lot more movement, there's a lot more shifting, and this person's doing this, dueling this person, and then this person's dueling this person, and just, it kind of sounds like it descends a bit into chaos. So there's two things about that. The first is that the order is outnumbered still mm -hmm. in this. So it's not shocking that because of the intensity of the fight that some of the order is also going down. Going down. Yeah. But there are also, I believe, some Death Eaters going down. Mm -hmm. You'd assume, well yeah. In yeah. This. At some point, the Death Eaters, for, you know, they should, but they do defeat the kids. They are on their way to defeating 
the Order of the Phoenix, the members of the Order of the Phoenix that are there. Mm -hmm. They've knocked out two of the five, and one of them is described as the best Order ever. Yeah, I'm still kind of disappointed that Moody gets taken out so quickly. I will say, shocker to no one, mad props to Sirius for being able to (laughs) hold his own. Oh, don't you worry, Julie. (laughs) We're gonna get to Sirius. But, okay, but think about it, though. He was locked up in Azkaban for over a decade, couldn't really practice magic, then he is hidden away for, like, who's, who's he practicing dueling with? No one. And then he comes in and is dueling with multiple Death Eaters, and he's still, like, laughing while he's doing it. I mean, I'm sure for him it's also he, kind of a bit of a joy ride because he's finally out and, like, right. doing yeah. something. But the fact that it wasn't, he, like, he walks out and then immediately gets, like, blasted to the side because he's out of practice. I will I will give Sirius this. Of the Death Eaters, he duels what I take as the two toughest. Dolohoff and Bellatrix. He yes. goes head-to-head with probably the two strongest. Kingsley, though. Let's shine some light on Kingsley. Yes. Because he starts off with like, no, I got these two. (laughs) I'll get these two, you guys figure it out. Like, I'm fine here. Uh, Kingsley's awesome. A while. The Death Eaters have beaten the kids. They're well on their way to beating the members of the Order that are present Mm -hmm. and still standing. Mm -hmm. And then the tide changes in an epic way. You get the... Uh, knight in shining armor that is Elvis Tumbledore. Yay! Appearing, and he changes the tone of the fight so incredibly completely that everybody except for two people are like, yep, yeah, this is over. Like, I'm just gonna mail this in. Do you want me to, like, tie myself up at this point? Like, <laughs> Can I'll you just... imagine being a Death Eater and Dumbledore shows up and you're like, uh, is is there a jail cell that I can just apparate into right now? Like, how many are just like, yeah, you know what? Nope. I'm, peace out. <laughs> yeah. Well, one literally tries to run. Yeah. Who do you think it is? Do you have bets on who the... I mean, they don't tell us, but do you have bets on who the Death Eater that tries to run is? I got Avery. I'm picking Avery. <laughs> I'm going to put it on Avery. I like it. He just seems the type to me. Baby head. Baby head's, <laughs> Baby head's still trashing Jen's favorite room at this point. Dumbledore probably walked by him and was like, nah, I'm good. He comes in just like guns blazing. I love this part. Oh my god, it's like my one of the greatest part. parts is that yeah. like Dumbledore is just in and then it says Harry, quote, had no more thoughts of leaving. The power that you have to have and wield and the respect that you command mm-hmm. to have everybody just stop in your presence. And the one, my favorite part of this whole thing, honestly, maybe even the whole chapter, is the detail of the Death Eater running. I'm going to call him Avery. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And Dumbledore pulling him back into the fight. Like, I'm sorry. I'm good with 10 to 1. I don't need 9 to 1. Give me the 10 to 1. I'm good. (laughs) He's like, oh, no, you don't, sir. Get back here. (laughs) I love that detail. That is such an awesome detail from Dumbledore. Uh, But yeah, uh, there are two that do not... Follow that example of stopping the fight, and that is Sirius and Bellatrix, and they are going spell for spell. Sirius, uh, Julie, do you want to just take this? I'll just let this. I'll just let Julie do this. So, okay, I'm going to start out though with saying that to me it makes sense that Sirius and Bellatrix were not disturbed. They have their own yeah 
Like, they, they have, have their, their own history. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. completely mm-hmm. locked in. The whole Literally, rest of the room and whatever's going on is. Everything could not blow there. up yes. around them, and sure. I don't think they wouldn't notice. Oh, yeah. They wouldn't notice at all. Oh, yeah. Um, they're dueling spell for spell. Sirius is taunting her, and there is a spell that emits red light. Red. Red light. Yeah. <laughs> for her, it's not about the killing it's the torture and especially with serious she wants to savor it she doesn't yes, want it to yes. she wants to savor it she doesn't want to just go like hey cuz what's up you dead yeah. like she yeah. wants if that could last for 12 days yeah. like that duel would have lasted for 12 yeah. days um which is also why i do not believe that the following spell <laughs> the following jet of light jet of light i believe what's being done here is J.K. Rowling purposely was leaving it vague um, but also insinuating that that second beam of light would have been red which would have meant that Bellatrix did not go in for the kill with the second jet of light Sirius gets hit in the chest and ends up falling through our veil curtain whatever we'd like to call it archway archway Um, with laughter still in his face, but his eyes are widened, so clearly some amount of shock. Um, and he is gone. Lupin, specifically, says the words. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can do, Harry. Nothing. He's gone. There's nothing that tells us what actually happens. Is this archway some type of... Do you die when you fall through the archway? Are you transported through time? Are you in, like, eternal peril? Mm -hmm. Another realm? Like, do you become reincarnated? Like, you don't know what this archway is. And for me, it's one of the most heartbreaking things about Sirius's, like, we'll call it demise in the series, is that... He is Harry's only real family. Like, I get that he's still not blood, but, like, with Sirius and James' relationship, like, they were brothers. Like, blood did not matter. They were brothers. And so when you take Harry's family that was actually family to him, like, the Dursleys, like, yes, they were blood-related, but I don't think that Harry would be like, oh, hey, and, uh here's my family, he'd be like, and here's the people I live with. Whereas, like, Sirius, without a doubt, Harry always had that level of excitement that if Sirius was proven innocent, he would get to go and live his life with his godfather. I think it's very poignant that Lupin is the one to give the line at the end, given Mm -hmm. his one relationship with Sirius, obviously, Mm -hmm. and then, obviously, his relationship with Harry. I think that's a a really good way to wrap that up with Lupin to Harry. Yeah. Jen, what are your thoughts on Julie's heartbreak? I literally have a broken heart drawn on my notes, guys. (laughs) She doodled a broken heart. I think what makes it difficult is it's just he's there and then he's not. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of uncertainty surrounding it. And one of the things I was thinking of while you were talking about this, because the way that you were describing it felt very much like a bit of an existential, like, you know, we don't know what happens after we die. We don't mm-hmm. know what happens to Sirius after he goes through the archway. And then I was kind of thinking about, it's interesting how the rooms that she picked for the, what JK picked for the Department of 
mysteries are things that people do have a recurring curiosity about. So we have the archway representing death. We have brains either being like a, you know, how do we as people function? Time is kind of like aging because mm -hmm. we're seeing the bird, you know, die and then get reborn and then space. And it is, a you know, I think she did a really good job picking topics for. But are always going to be mysterious. Yes. We will wrap up this uh, extremely long episode. Extravaganza. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Let us know what you think on the episode. Let us know by participating in those polls, leaving comments on Spotify, Instagram, and Twitter. Jen is helping out with our Instagram, so you can let her know directly by commenting <laughs> on Instagram. And uh, yeah, let us know how um, you guys all feel on the episodes. There is a link to uh, donate to the podcast if you want to help us out financially. That really helps us out. This is a lot of time and effort that goes into this, so we appreciate any help that we can get. Uh, there's also a leave a voice message link, and you can leave us a voicemail, and you can get your voice on this podcast and let us know what you think that way. So with that, we will end it here, and we will be back next week with Chapter 36. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod. 